Wrestling Geeks Alliance. We're recording this show on Saturday, like we normally do. You know, usually, and if you're a first time listener, I'm Dane Alves, the host, co host, I should say, with my co host, Christopher Ray Patton for Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And uh, normally, I like to try to like do an impression, try to make things funny, but this show is going to be. Along with a lot of things uh, this last week, a grieving experience, unfortunately, and that I will say that I can say for both individuals that have passed away, Terry Funk, who is noted for a promo for this phrase and concept that defines him, and Bray Wyatt, who used it with the Wyatt family when they first came to the main roster, a word that is symbolic with both of them is forever. And as wrestling fans, we will keep them around forever. But this is going to be a tough show. We're going to talk about obviously all in, maybe a little bit with the uh, 75th anniversary with the NWA, both tonight and tomorrow night. But this is mainly going to be reflecting on those two careers, one that spans generations and the other taking from us and his family way too soon. Chris, I have the honor and privilege, like always, to host this show. And honestly, I couldn't think of a better person to talk about this type of stuff. What a one-two punch knockout. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a punch to the gut. This this entire year has been a punch to to the gut, honestly, uh, as far as wrestling goes. You know, losing Jay Briscoe and now Bray Wyatt and, and Terry Funk. It's been uh, it's been a rough one as a wrestling fan. Uh, both these wrestlers, all wrestlers in general, there's a there's a different connection with their audience. They give you know they're giving their bodies. They're it's an emotional connection as a fan because they really rely on the the fans watching them to know what's working what's not working um a lot of people are going to talk about terry funk and how good he was at that um probably the same thing for bray as well to some extent but uh it really hurts when you lose one of your favorites uh, in the wrestling world and terry funk as listeners out there know uh is probably my favorite i think it was the first person we inducted into our hall of fame uh on the show or one of the first people and yeah, it's been a rough week, buddy. How how are you holding up over there? I'm good, man. I it just it's shocking. I mean, like you said, with Bray, it's like it's like Jay. It's like wow, that it just happens and you have no control over it. But Terry, man, I mean, me and you since we started doing the show, we've had to say goodbye to 
pretty much very at the beginning, Roddy Piper, Dusty Rhodes, try to say goodbye to Pat Patterson and uh, just so many fucking legends. And Terry Funk is another guy that I would consider to be one of those top echelon wrestlers of all time. I think that, and really when it comes down to it, the longevity factor, who has more longevity than Undertaker, Ric Flair, probably Chris Jericho when he hangs up his tights finally, it's Terry Funk. I don't think anyone will be able to inspire multiple generations like he did. And uh, when it really comes down to Bray, just a creative mind, man. And just so tragic, seeing the pictures of him with his kids. And just like Jay, when he got in an accident with his daughters in the car. It's and also just going back to, you know, Brody Lee, a.k.a. Luke Harper and the connection with Bray. As, as uh, Cody said, man, we lost two fucking cowboys. We really did. Badass men. And uh, my heart and prayers, thoughts, whatever you want to say, goes out to their families right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Condolences to all the family and friends of these two individuals. Um, Bray obviously taken way too soon. The only positive thing I can say uh, about any of these passings is is that we're at least in an age where we're left with the legacy. We can go back and watch and hear and and relive, uh, you know, the legend of these two guys. And, and with Terry Funk, while there's it's sad, there's a lot. <laughs> because this man started wrestling in the late 60s, right? And pretty much from that period on was on top somewhere wherever he went <laughs> in some form or fashion was a main event star whether it was in the territories as the nwa champion or being the biggest american baby face in japanese history to you know making ew uh, ecw act i mean yep. i don't know that ecw lasts without terry funk coming in and uh, fmw FMW, uh, all those IWA. Promotions, man. and uh, just just an insane career with with so much of a legacy and so many great matches and so many great promos. It's it's unfortunate that Bray was taking so taken from us so soon because, unfortunately, I, I would say with some of the booking and stuff that. Vince had his hands in. I think we never really got what the full potential of what Bray Wyatt could be. But what we did get was very creative. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to talk too much about the negative aspects of his booking and and that stuff, because I think today should be more about the performer himself and, and us just, you know, remembering his legacy. But it's kind of hard not to think like what could have been um, when something like this happens. Yeah, I feel like as I mean, it sucks because me and you had to go through both, but I feel like this generation's, you know, we lost Brian Pillman, Owen Hart, and Eddie Guerrero, and those were out of nowhere. And unfortunately, that's kind of reflectant of Bray, 
and Brody and Jay, man. It's like just the younger superstars. Terry's a fucking legend. And I'm going to go into him and we're going to talk about him first. Uh, but Terry lived a long fucking life. He was almost 80. He, from what Mick said, he kind of, since his wife passed, you know, wasn't as motivated in, in, in the last years leading up to his death. And I can completely understand that just Bray is is out of nowhere and uh, just tragic, man. I mean, that's life. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. And, you know, I think my this is the first time my wife has had one of her favorites pass away. So her watching that tribute, which was a wonderful tribute by WWE, by the way, throughout the entire show of both Terry and and Bray, um, her watching that tribute, just seeing her break down and uh, just it bawling, both of us on the couch, just, you know, crying. I mean, it, it it's just very, very sad. But like you said, you know, we've unfortunately have lived through that. I mean, one of my favorites, Owen Hart, right? Uh, we, we've seen it. We've been around it. I don't want to say we're numb to losing wrestlers, but uh, this is... This has been a tough year, like I said, as far as being a wrestling fan goes, especially, you know, two of my favorites, like with Jay Briscoe and, and Terry Funk, that it's it's hard, you know, and I really feel for anyone who had to perform on on these shows because um, we're not done. Like you said, we got to pay We got a 80,000 plus sold at Wembley Stadium pay-per-view that these guys are going to have to go out and, and wrestle in. You know, some of these people have worked with Bray and uh, have known or looked up or knew or worked with Terry. Um, I I just can't imagine how hard that must be as a performer. Absolutely. Um, And like I said, guys, we will get to all in, but this is definitely a kind of like what they had to do with SmackDown last night, a tribute show. And I have to say that. I forgot who said this. I, I, I don't remember which wrestler. It might have been Paul Pierce. Um, or Adam Pierce. Sorry, Paul Pierce is gone. I don't know who that is. Anyways, um, I just really wish that, for the most part, wrestling fans, me included, would be as positive during a situation like this as we are during just normal, you know, not after each other's throat, not acting, putting companies against companies. And I wish that we just maintained our composure sometimes. And I just have to say, I'm, you know, looking at pictures, sometimes lack thereof, of people that said really terrible things online and looking at their age and how this goes to general for anyone, but also some of the younger guys think about what the fuck you're saying before you just post it online, whether it be something terrible about Bray Wyatt that we really don't need to go into. Cause it's a father that lost, you know, that, that was, that has died has four kids and a wife and a family. Um, or why Seamus or Roman or whoever, wasn't at the tribute show when it's in the middle of Kentucky. Just think before you say, like sometimes people mix up characters or performance or whatever, 
And the reality is these are human beings and just shut the fuck up. I mean, that's really, I don't know. I'm not going to get negative. This is a show to reflect in a positive light, but I just wish sometimes we're, we were better as wrestling fans, just in general. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. This, this is not the time, you know, even if you weren't a Bray Wyatt fan or a Terry Funk fan, this is not the time to air your grievances. You should keep in mind that, you know, they're normal human beings like everyone else who have family and have friends. And I concur with you 100% on this. And uh, for people who have listened to this show, uh, I I wasn't the biggest Bray Wyatt fan, but you can still look at his career and realize the the great things he did accomplish and, you know, realize that this is not the time to really get into, like I was talking about earlier, the booking aspect of, of the guy you know it, it's more of it, it's more of respecting what he was able to accomplish and and just putting out good feelings for his friends and family and, and anyone who works at that company that worked with him i mean like i said if it's this rough for me i can't imagine what it what it must be like for like an eric rowan or bo dallas or braun like people that you know blows his brother but eric and braun were his brother it's just it's it's tragic um it's really you know the wrestlers themselves keeping composure last night and even them breaking down at the beginning and just the way that they handle it with smackdown the terry even though it wasn't that hardcore who gives a shit terry funk hardcore match set up by cody um and cody's words like i said calling them both cowboys and you know definitely got to me uh and then la Knight coming out for the main event against finn uh la Knight being his you know last competitor great fucking promo took it right to the miz um and then finn who has had an off and on rivalry with brave for years thought all the guys great like you said to me in the message great to start off with ray mysterio but i thought everything the footage they did you know, reflecting on Terry as an NWA champion, which I'm assuming was cleared. And I don't think fucking Billy Corgan would not let that happen. Or if it wasn't cleared, would be pissed off that they, you you have to talk about Terry Funk and the span of his career because he wasn't, he was WWE. He won the tag titles, but he wasn't known for WWE. So I thought that they just did a really good job. And I think there's going to be a lot of tributary stuff um, a lot of respect and class, I'm assuming, for this NWA show, especially for Terry. Um, and also for tomorrow night, the big fucking all-in event uh, in Wembley Stadium. But, you know, any last comments before we start really going into the funker? Yeah, I just I do want to put over, you know, put over that SmackDown again. If you didn't get a chance to watch it or maybe you don't tune into WWE normally this would be uh it was a it was a very great tribute show I think they did a really good job with all of the video packages Cody and LA Knight had great great promos um Cody showed that the, he showed kind of the reason why he's probably the top babyface, uh at least in America with the way he was able to tell you a story wrap it back around to you know terry funk and, and bray but still set you up for the match and, and anyone who's complaining about that hardcore match 
keep in mind, like, <clears throat> not every Terry Funk hardcore match was like a death match. I, maybe they could have worded it a little different or, or called it something else. But I mean, it, it's, you know, it's WWE. They're not going to be getting color and hitting each other with barbed wire in that you have another show for that if you're if you're really into that. I'm sure we will see some of that uh, on Sunday. But you know, if you go back to like Terry Funk in the Territory days or in in Memphis with Lawler, you know those matches were hardcore. But it was more of like what we actually saw last night. You know, like a table spot and it just it, indeed outside throwing each other into the barricades and stuff. It, it wasn't always you know FMW like deathmatch stuff with Terry. That, that I think Bubba Ray said it on his podcast. The the term hardcore, when he thinks about the term hardcore in Terry Funk, he thinks about just giving it everything you have to like a, another level, which I thought was a really eloquent way to kind of sum up the hardcore legend himself, Terry Funk. But it, it was a wonderful show. It was nice that they started out with Ray. Um probably very hard for Ray because like I said, that I don't think there was a dry in the house after the, the Bray and, and the fan reaction after the tribute video was great. And uh, it was nice that they gave Ray a win there. I think that was smart. And in the main event, uh, LA night just went clean. So they did kind of what we and you were messaging back and forth. It's a, that's a hard show to do. We knew it was going to be a very different show, but they just kind of gave us some good wrestling matches and some good babyface finishes and storylines be damned. And I think that was the right thing to do. So I, like I said, I just want to put that show over in WWE over in general for how they, they handled this. Yeah. Uh, especially with Hunter leading the whole entire thing. He's just, he, I mean, he's the one who let us know. Uh, about Bray Wyatt. He was the first person to find out of that information, followed by Sean Ross Sapp with details. Um, you know, I just that was that was a good that was a good show. Yeah, and and at first, man, it's just something that was so hard to believe when you sent me that tweet. I was like, did Triple H get hacked or yeah. something on on Twitter X? And then we started seeing you know more media coming out about it, and I'm like, damn, man. I did. I did not expect it. Uh, it. It's like how a lot of. I think it was when I first, when we first, when you first sent me the text. That it's as wrestling fans, your mind goes to, is this an angle? <laughs> you know, like uh, especially with Bray's character being what it was, um, or did Triple H get hacked? And then it's like, nah, it, this this is real, buddy. You're just gonna have to to deal with it. And. Um, yeah, great show, great performances. Uh, do you want to want to talk about some of the happy aspects of their career? Yeah, let me go and um, Bray's. We we lived it, and we'll still go into details. But I think we need to put some some spect on that name, if you will, uh, as Birdman once said. Um, for Terry Funk, I want people after this, especially you being such a huge fan, to realize not only the impact, but the, the man himself, um, short sum up, started off obviously in Amarillo, Texas, uh, with Dory Funk, his father, and uh, was baby faces with his brother in a tag team. They would go, he would then, you know, make his rounds, and uh, we all know about, you know, the uh, egg sucking dog that is Dusty Rhodes when he went from Amarillo to Florida. 
and went back and forth with him. Obviously went around the territories, won the NWA championship, went to all Japan, had an amazing career um, off and on from 72 to 91, uh, facing Abdul the Butcher, Stan Hansen, so much of the talent over there uh, with his brother. The Forever promo comes obviously from that part of his career, uh, winning tag belts, was in the WWE at the beginning for a cup of coffee. A lot of people forget that he was in WrestleMania 2 with his brother, Dory Funk, called Haas Funk, because WWE. Oh, it's okay, because they established Harry Funk at the beginning of the whole entire thing, and then he's Chainsaw Charlie. But whatever, I'm not going to I'm gonna try not to be negative about that. But uh, great, really cool Piper's Pit with Terry that you can find on YouTube. And it's like, God, I wish those two connected at some point, but... You know, it is what it is. WCW, obviously, after, you know, Ricky Steamboat losing in the second match, Ric Flair, uh, just turning on Ric Flair and legitimately hurting him, uh, pile driving him on a table uh, and would lead to one of the best I quit matches and several other matches with Flair. I mean, uh, you know, that was mainly it. And then. You got IWA and FMW where he helped revitalize as a babyface because he was one of the biggest babyfaces of all time and one of the biggest heels. Not a lot of wrestlers can say that. Uh, Hulk Hogan comes to mind, but he could put on either switch and it was incredible. And then obviously ECW. He he went there. He made his his his. Uh, oh God, I, I mean. I watched the Sabu match. That was fucking just nasty. Minus, you know, Cactus Jack. But helped mold these guys to where they were. I mean, kept on influencing. Back to WWE wins the tag belts as Chainsaw Charlie. Then goes back to ECW. uh, Goes to WCW. Uh, Actually had a really good hardcore match I watched with him and Bret Hart. Um... And I mean, that's the thing. It's like his list of opponents. Rivalries. You go from Giant Baba to Ric Flair, you know, to Harley Race, to Dusty Rhodes, to uh, everyone that he went against in ECW, um, to Brett, who, you know, we watched uh, Terry's, you know, like the Rolling Stones. He had many retirement tours. Uh, and one of his first ones in Beyond the Mat was against Bret Hart. Um, just just a monster. And kept on... This is the biggest thing, Chris, I want people to realize. Before I pass it to you, so you can talk as much as you want, obviously, about Terry. This dude debuted in 1965. And ended in 2017. What you got to realize about that, he was at the tail end of... Bruno and Harley's generation. You know, Bruno started in the industry, I think it was six years before him. Uh, Harley was like two, maybe three. He was before even Dusty's era and Rick's era and stuff like that. He went into that and transitioned. So, like I said, the, the generations of talent from, you know, someone like a, a Mick Foley to Sami Zayn. That's how many generations of talent. Tommy Dreamer, obviously. So many wrestlers. Piper. You know, 
Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Cactus Jack, like I said, all influenced by Terry. There is no one that will have that longevity in the industry. He's forever, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's crazy to think about the length of that career. And I, I was listening to Fumi and uh, Jim Valley's show, and Fumi basically said, you know, depending on when you how old you were when you started watching wrestling, there is still a legendary version of Terry Funk, <laughs> which is kind of true. Depending on if you started watching the 70s, 80s, 90s, or uh, even in the 2000s, you, you have your own version of Funk. You know what I mean? Which is not a lot of people can say. And I think the, you know, the thing about Terry Funk is you don't, you've never, I've never heard a wrestler say anything bad about Terry Funk. You don't really get any shoot interviews with someone having something negative to say about Terry Funk. It just didn't happen. And I think that's just because of his dedication to the wrestling business and the fact that he wasn't ever afraid to put somebody over, you know, he wouldn't, he had that mentality that a lot of older, the older guys had, which is always leave the business better, uh, better than it was when you got there. And you know, that shows everywhere he went. Right. Um, I mean, the guy had a fucking anime character in Japan (laughs) and albums and was a gene model. It was, it was in, a bunch of like what two or three films, four, three, either three or four films. I, they, I know they were mostly Sylvester yeah. Stallone. You have Over the Top, Roadhouse, um, Paradise Alley. I think there was one more in there that I'm forgetting. Um, but like you were getting into, I mean, the, I don't, I don't know that we'll ever have anyone else like that to compare. Now, now that being said, um, <laughs> Jericho is going to get do his damn best to make a run of it. Right, it seems like it, anyways. Uh, but yeah, Terry Funk is is just an absolute legend. has has been my one of my favorites since I was four or five, and and saw the I Quit match with Ric Flair on VHS. I mean, and and then living through the ECW era and watching, you know, Joey Styles give the big pitch to Desperado, leading up to <laughs> leading up to some main event matches. It's it's just all of that stuff is just so fresh in my mind and and it, it's it's his performances like um i guess we can get into some of his matches cuz there's specifically a spot in the Ric Flair I quit match i want to talk about but but i'll pass it back to you that was kind of a lot i know i threw a lot out there but i think it's going to be one of those days for both of us a little scatterbrained after everything that's been happening this week completely understandable obviously um yeah, I, career highlights. Like I said, let me just give some monikers. This man was crazy like a fox, you know, middle-aged and, and crazy. Uh, he was at one point called Black Baron, Chainsaw Charlie. Do knows it all. And the Texan, obviously known to our generation as the Funker. But Terry... The one thing, even before we even go into his career, just really shortly, like really, really quickly, I don't think there is another wrestler because most gaijin talent, you know, non-Japanese talent, uh, if you don't know that term, they're heels. AJ was a heel, Finn was a heel, Dynamite Kid was a heel. 
Ricky Dozen, no one knew that he was Korean. Everyone thought that he was Japanese, and that kind of, I guess, is the closest. But, like, can he? You know, Will Ospreay's a heel. Terry Funk invoked a emotional response, whether it be a heel or a babyface. And his babyface, to the level that I'll say that I don't think anyone nowadays, outside of maybe Cody or Sammy, could ever get people emotionally. And I don't think he'll ever, ever achieve what he did in Japan. And probably... <laughs> As we'll talk about it, especially going to Ric Flair, one of the most crazy fucking heels. I got a great story that Bully Ray uh, told uh, about his first interaction with Terry after being burnt on fire. For Pakistan. <laughs> but I'll, I'll get into that. But like, man, I mean, that's the thing. Like I said, besides Hulk Hogan, how many people have been that good as both a heel and a baby face within this business? I mean, it's the it's the top guys, right? Like Flair. I mean, it's all it's all the guys that you would you would think when you think about best wrestlers of all time. And, and there's a there's a reason, right? But I don't know that anyone ever did it to the extent that Terry did with just the juxtaposition of him being able to come to America and be this evil cowboy, and then go back to Japan and be like fucking John Wayne. You know what I mean? Like he was the, a the, bounty hunter at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it is crazy. Uh, I don't know that anyone's ever done it uh, in the way that Funk did it, where he, in two different countries you're getting a completely different reaction, but you're both a heel, the top heel in one country, and the top babyface in another country. Like that's crazy, and uh, it's important to put out, you know, talk about the fact that he was the pipeline for all Japan uh, for gaijin talent, as you said, or American talent. In general, I mean, he, he's he's a big reason why you get, you know, Stan Hansen, which did come back to bite Terry when uh, Stan, Stan Hansen made the jump to New Japan Pro Wrestling. But like that's that's that was a that was a huge part of it. But like Terry Funk in Japan, man, like if you watch the 80, like 82, 83 run, some of those all Japan just entrances people are grabbing this man and trying to pull him off of the ring apron i mean we're talking about like beatles elvis type crap that was happening to terry funk and i don't know that we'll ever see that kind of emotional response Um, but as far as other people that you could say you know we're both great at both i mean flair uh lawler uh hogan like you said austin it's 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 a uh, but but like but like I was alluding to, I don't think that anyone's ever done it <laughs> at the in the same year in two different ways in two different countries. That's a that's a special level that only Terry Funk could achieve, I think. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And um, I was sending my uh, my coworker, my buddy Harry, uh, who's older, you know. And I just checked on the messenger. He still hasn't checked them out because he was having problems trying to figure out messenger. But, you know, for a lot of audiences, you know, younger people who are obviously good with technology, there is no excuse for you not to have seen stuff. If you have YouTube, you don't even need the Peacock, which probably has a bunch on there. I sent him Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler, empty arena match, which me and you watched uh, one time. 
Uh, the I Quit match is on there with him and Flair that we'll talk about, obviously. Dusty and Terry Funk. Not the best quality, but who cares uh, under the circumstance? Sabu and Terry Funk, where they get basically uh, put together as one barbed wire person uh, within it. Uh, Terry Funk, Cactus Jack, the branding iron match that led to what uh, Bubba Ray was talking about. Terry Funk and Bret Hart at uh, WrestleFest 97, his retirement match. Uh, Hulk Hogan versus Terry Funk in 86 in Japan. Uh, him and Steve Austin in their brawl that went the whole entire program of Shotgun Saturday Nights, ending with interrupting the main event with them just fighting and beating the shit out of each other. Him and Dory against Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik. There's several of those tab matches on there. Bro- Bruiser Brody and Terry Funk. And Terry Funk and Eddie Guerrero, which was given to me by you, uh, there's no excuse for people not to know or get to know Terry Funk. On top of all the promos this man did that were all off the top of his head, because like I said beforehand, Chris, he was crazy like a fox. (laughs) Tougher than belt leather, crazy like a fox. Yeah. Um, If if you were one of those people that, that... Really hate Hulk Hogan. I would say watch any of the Hogan <laughs> Funk matches because I'm pretty sure that Terry Funk's the only man that was able to get that quality of a match out of Hogan. Uh, I watched um, this was a little later when Hogan was in back in uh, actually in WWF uh, on his championship run, and they had brought in Funk to work with Junkyard Dog uh, for the most part, and. Uh, he he was doing a bunch of the Saturday night main events and feuding with Hogan at the same time. But they have this just amazing nine minute match, uh, just kind of like a like a Saturday night main event type match. And I I just don't know that I've ever seen Hogan hit the rope so hard and work as hard as he did with <laughs> with Terry. I know I've seen a lot of the stuff when he was in uh, what AWA back in the day and, and some of the stuff that he did in Japan, but like. Uh, Terry may have been the perfect opponent for Hulk Hogan, and they may they should have probably kept Terry around longer in the in the WWF, but um, WWE now, but WWF then. Um, I highly recommend if you haven't seen that match, Dane, uh, the Teal Trunks Hogan versus Terry Funk in WWF. <laughs> it's it's great. It's man. great. Yeah, just all of those matches are great. Let's talk about two that are really near dear in our heart. Uh, one is, so we have we have this whole entire back and forth, including Terry Funk interrupting a match, demanding a promo like a fucking crazy man in Tennessee. Uh, the rivalry with Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk ended up in an empty arena. Poor Lance Russell is trying to basically keep the time going, has no idea if both men are going to show up. Terry Funk gets there first and is just berating Lance Russell, uh, you know, threatening to beat his ass and stuff like that. And Lance is like getting the fuck away from Terry until finally Jerry gets there and is beautiful. I want to say, I mean, I watched this the other day, but I want to say it was like a white and blue, maybe white and purple, like outfit, just looking just peak Jerry Lawler. And Jerry... Boy, well, you know, we'll also include this, says that Terry Funk to him is the greatest, you know, in-ring wrestler of all time. Uh, they even showed it last night uh, when they were going through people. And Jerry was definitely one of his best rivalries. And that is when Terry Funk was the craziest, um, I will say, in a, in a situation where he's a heel. But um, 
Love that fucking match. I enjoyed watching it for the first time with you uh, a couple years back at your house. Drunk as uh, drunk as anything, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 just great shit, man. Um, such we, an awesome what were, what were you even over here for? It must have been like a, a Mayweather fight or something. And then yeah, we were watching Mayweather because... um, and Conor uh, McGregor, and you know we we're waiting for it to get to that main event, um, and we decided to like, all right, let's just like watch old Dusty matches and old fucking Terry Funk. Which, if I remember, that undercard was the correct decision <laughs> as far as quality of matches. But yeah, that was a hell of a good time. I was glad that I was able to show show you that for the first time. That entire feud is is crazy in itself because you got my It's almost a double turn where you feel bad for Terry Funk. Like you want to see Terry Funk get revenge on this guy because of how fucking good Terry is on the mic, and it leads to that empty arena match. And everyone's expecting Funk to be like babyface in the match. And he comes out, like you said, and he's like, see, this guy's a fucking coward. He's not even going to show up. And he's just yelling at Lance. And it's it's phenomenal. And it leads to, you could argue, which is the best Terry Funk match. I personally, I'm very nostalgic for the Ric Flair I quit match and the build up to that. But if, if you were to say, you know, Lawler, Funk, empty arena match, it would be hard for me to debate that. I think they're both you know, two of the greatest matches of all time, probably in the top 10. I know we get a lot of like these five and six star matches nowadays, or what's considered a five or six star match. I mean, outside of Okada and Omega, I don't know that I, and and maybe, I guess I would say maybe Austin and Hart. I don't know that I've seen a match better than the Ric Flair, Terry Funk, I quit match. And, And there's a lot of, you know, great wrestling over the years, but damn, what a story both, Lawler and Funk were able to tell and, and Flair and Funk were able to tell in those matches. And it's just, I mean, I know it's a lot different than modern wrestling, but as far as storytelling goes, geez, man, that those guys are obviously some of the best. And it, it is crazy to think of all the people that Jerry Lawler has wrestled, who has had one hell of a long career himself. Uh, it, it's insane to just think about him saying, I think Terry Funk was the greatest of all time. Because not only do you have all the people that Lawler wrestled, you had all the people that Lawler worked with in WWF and watched wrestle and commentated on their matches. So for him to say that's insane. And, and that's not a recent thing. Like he said that during, that was in 2008 before the Hall, Hall of Fame and induction of, of Terry and Dory. Yeah, and that's what I have to keep on going back to. Out of the next generation that comes out, Dusty get, is influenced by Terry. Rick's influenced by Terry. Hogan, uh, obviously Jerry Lawler. They all started the next, you know, several years later leading into the 70s. Uh, and then you have everyone from the Attitude Era and all the ECW guys. And then newer guys, you know, from Mance Warner to Sami Zayn to Kevin Owens to John Moxley to Eddie Kingston. You know, that means a lot. Um, Flair's up there. Jerry's up there. We're talking about Jericho in a future sense. To be able to influence multiple generations, I mean, is is probably, I think, I would say, besides being a great wrestler, great heel, great babyface, Terry's best quality. And putting over those guys and trying to keep the the generations going, if you will. Who could bring out a great babyface and great Flair? 
a fucking scumbag heel, crazy as a fuck, like Terry Funk. And uh, is that, even though those matches with Steamboat are iconic, that second one where Terry sucker punches him from behind and tries to put him through the table uh, with it not collapsing at all, completely different table. Um, and then also, <laughs> here's a great story. So building up to this match, you know, Terry Funk is avoiding Flair and shit like that. Well, Flair, I, I think he was doing a promo, and I watched it recently because Flair was talking about it on a show. You know, he's doing a promo, and fucking Terry comes in with a, with a fucking bag and literally puts it over Flair's head and is, you know, trying to, like, quote-unquote suffocate him. And, and Rick's like, I, you know, I, mean, I know, I, I trust, I, I completely trust Terry, but there was a split second where I was like, is he trying to fucking kill me? uh that would that would never fly in today in today's world but yeah (laughs) it i mean that's part of what made terry so believable and in the pile drive the pile driver spot on the table is one of the most iconic terry funk i would i would say two of the most iconic terry funk mat or, or moments would be all the chairs flying into the fucking ring in ecw the forever promo and uh, him pile driving Ric Flair on top of that table. And hearing Jim Ross talk about it on, on one of the, the various, you know, we've consumed a lot of funk in podcast in the past few days uh, since his passing. On one of the podcasts, Jim Ross was talking about his commentating on it. And he's like, uh, I don't know that Ric Flair knew that was going to happen. Because if you look at Ric Flair's facial expressions, he's like, I know he's really, really fucking good at selling. Uh, it was surprising and scary to all of us in the building, and then I'm on commentary trying to call this, and it's it was something that had hadn't been seen before, at least not in America. Uh, and it's crazy to think about Terry Funk may have been the first guy to try to put someone through a table in that manner. Uh, it's always hard to say stuff like that of who's the first, just because there there was so much wrestling, but. Uh, it, it, that's an iconic spot. And what what are what are some of you, what you would put as iconic Terry Funk spots? I mean, those are the those are the three or moments that come to mind uh, outside of promos. I mean, we could talk all day about his promos, but like three moments. Well, besides the ones that you named, I will definitely say one of them has to be. I mean, the Sabu fucking Terry Funk match and them being just complete. It's a, it's a championship match. Terry's the fucking champ and Sabu ends up winning it. But at one point, we decide we're going to wrap Terry with barbed wire on a barbed wire table and have Sabu go over the ropes, covering himself with barbed wire. And let me just say, they were trying to clip the motherfuckers out of the damn barbed wire, and they still ended up getting in the ring, and Sabu, you know, did something, pinned him. But brutal, brutal, and kind of jumping off the chair thing. Uh, funny story about the chairs. You know, Terry says, throw me a chair, and everyone fucking does it. Well, obviously, <laughs> he's told by Paul Heyman not to do that anymore. And in the Sabu match, you can see that the ref gets pissed because Terry goes, hey, throw me a chair. And three of them get launched. He gets hit in the head by one of them. Um, and then two seconds later, after taking the one that got to him, he nails Sabu in the head and throws it outside. And then a little while later, asks another audience member with the ref going, no. To throw him a fucking chair. So that was Terry Funk. Um, <laughs> just the fucking thing. I mean, I, I want to put over Sabu in that. You, 
I have to put over Sabu in that match as well because Sabu t- tapes his arm back together to finish that match because he got tore wow. really, really bad. And the, he takes his wrist tape off and is just wrapping his fucking arm up to finish that match. That match is brutal. I know we see a lot of like death match and hardcore matches nowadays, but uh, back the first time I saw that match as a, as a youngin, I thought that was the craziest shit I've ever seen. And probably up until the point I saw, I saw a bit, you know, some more of the Japanese FMW stuff and, and maybe abyss and Sabu as well in TNA. Um, yeah, just one of the craziest fucking things I ever seen. Um, I won't say that that was the best in-ring quality, but people need to keep in mind that Terry was what fifty-six, <laughs> something like that when they had that match. And this is a man who had been wrestling since he was, you know, out, out right out of college from West Texas. So uh, it's a lot of mileage even back then, and and for him to have continued to have the career he did. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, without without Terry Funk, there is no ECW. I think that Eastern Championship Wrestling after Paul takes over, it, it it folds without having that name of Terry Funk to put these guys over. Because even bringing in like Austin and Cactus, they were there for such a short period of time before yeah. headed to WWF, whereas Terry was there to put over everybody and, and make their next star. Make make give Tommy Dreamer the rub. Give Sabu the big title win. Um, work with like Stevie Richards and Sandman. Like, it's it's an incre- it's incredible feat. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Terry Funk, throw me a chair. <laughs> God damn it, dude! Uh, he didn't learn from the first time. That's the best part. And like, like I said, there's at least three that are hurled immediately. One hits him right in the fucking head as he's putting his arms out. Just a crazy. Two other things I'll say for for moments. Uh, Onita and him. In the match where, obviously, I think Kenny and, and John Moxley were trying to pay tribute to, with Onita being hesitant because his mentor is about to get destroyed, and he runs in the ring. And then something I thought was real, Chris, <laughs> Terry ended up f- fucking himself up because he got powerbombed into the dumpster, uh, fucking up his hip, I believe. But when they got fucking thrown off the stage and everyone reacted, and they had the whole entire thing, and Sonny's going fucking ballistic, crying, and they brought... That was one of the moments for Monday Night Raw, kind of at the beginning of the Attitude Era, that was like, whoa, anything can happen on this shit. So I really legitimately thought they were injured. Obviously, Terry got banged up a bit from it, but it would lead to them winning the tag belts, him and uh, Cactus, which is pretty fucking awesome. You know, great tag team partners, Cactus Check and Dory Funk Jr., you know? Yeah, and Foley has told some great stories over the years. Um but he 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 when he talks about I think it was like a spy like a a disc is like a disc injury Terry hurt his back in that garbage spot but he said that the the contusion on Funk's back was like the size of a football after that which is Jesus which is insane but uh, I fully talks about one of his favorite matches being uh, I guess it was an I, IWA in front of like 150 people with Funk and they have this like long match. And then Funk just starts going, respect, kind of like he does with Forever. They hug in the middle of the ring, and fucking Terry Funk tells him to pile drive him. <laughs> 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 to, to get the heat on, get the heat on Cactus. <laughs> oh, man. Terry Funk is, is just such a legend. I'm going to continue to say it because he's been my, he's been one of my favorites. 
for a very, very long time. And, and I've enjoyed sharing that with, with, you know, generations of fans and even, you know, my nieces, I showed them the uh, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, I quit match before one of the AEW pay-per-views and was telling them about Eddie Kingston and John Moxley and who the, who their influence really is when you, when you look at what those guys do. And, and, and I, you know, it's been, it's been great. And it's, it's so awesome that we have so much, so much access to a lot of this stuff that we wouldn't have had. I mean, back in the day, getting a lot of the J- Japan stuff, man, it was going to Pendergrass Flea Market here in Georgia and just buying random fucking wrestling tapes, <laughs> bootleg wrestling tapes, um, or or trading with your your friends. Uh, but it, it's 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 hard, but at the same time, it ha- it's it's been hard, but at the same time, it's been cathartic and, and very nostalgic to go back and just have this full on fucking Terry Funk run of his career and get to rewatch and enjoy it all again. Like I was a, like I was a kid. Yeah, man. And I think that's one thing reflecting legacy, you know, being able to go back and watch everything definitely puts things in perspective. Uh, also, cause we've been kind of, you know, talking a little bit about the interviews. I thought busted open did a great job and Dave kind of like let Tommy and Bully lead the show uh, for Busted Open for their tribute to Terry Funk while they talked to Mick and Jim Ross and other people. And then they did a they had to do a fucking back to back the next day where Dave broke down mainly. And we'll talk about it with Bray with his family. Um, But I thought it's got to be hard for anyone. You know, the podcast you sent me, you know, for people to keep composure especially a live broadcast like that, but bully man. Oh God. The fucking, the story that he told after the branding iron match where Mick sets Terry on fire and Terry's pissed. Cactus got the fuck in the back because he knew that Terry was going to be fucking crazy. Goes in the back. He's pushing people, you know, screaming for cactus and shit like that. Fucking knocking over tables and taking chairs and throwing them. Paul Heyman trying to get him. So bully is trying to hide behind, like they had like a giant powered fan in the uh, in the fucking locker room, and he gets behind it, and all of a sudden he realizes because he's trying to hide from Terry Funk because he doesn't know him that well, and he knows that he's a fucking loose cannon sometimes, and he was pissed because he got lit on fire. So, uh, Bully is hiding and realizes that the whole locker room is out and there's no one in there, and then Terry comes in and just sees him, just full of madness, you know, and. Uh, He's like, where the fuck is Captain? Well, he's like, you know, like, I haven't seen him, blah, 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 and, like, trying to deflect it. Terry slaps him in the face two times. So that was his first interaction. And I love one of his last interactions, and I'll, I'll give it right back to you, was that for WrestleFest years ago, that same one, I'm assuming, that Terry had, Bully got paid $450 and was really upset when he could not find the check but didn't want to call Terry back and tell him about it, and found it years later, uh, you know, somewhere, basically, and keeps it, now he has that as kind of like a, I'm never fucking cashing this, like, I don't need that money anymore. Like, the fact that it had Terry and his wife's name on it meant as much to him. And he goes to tell Terry about it. <laughs> he goes to tell Terry Funk about it a couple years ago, and Terry Funk looks at him pissed off and goes, God damn it, bully! That's why I have to balance my fucking checkbook. 
Like oh, it's like. <laughs> uh, it's so great that we we have gotten all of these shoot interviews and podcast interviews with Terry because like I feel like every time I listen to one of them, uh, and I've listened to so many over the years, there's always one story I haven't heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, but yeah, it's it was it was really nice hearing all these people come in and and get to talk about talk about the funker and one hell of a career and legacy and i do want to say dory funk uh, dory funk doesn't dory funk jr doesn't get as much love uh, as he as he probably should i think he was a great nwa champion obviously a great tag partner with terry specifically in japan against uh sheik and abdullah but also for training guys like dory funk jr trained a lot a lot of wwf and, and talent that you you saw during the nineties and one hell of a family, man. Like if Amarillo was a little bit bigger of a territory, I kind of wonder what that would have, what that would have been like. Yeah. And eventually it would get gobbled up by everything else, obviously. And when Paul Bosch went down and obviously Amarillo went down and WCCW was like the last, or San Antonio went down, and obviously WCCW was the last one, but uh, before WWE gobbled up everything. But yeah, it just, uh, I mean, I, I love fucking wrestling. I love Terry Funk. You know, did you, did you hear, did you hear the story about how Terry Funk knew it was kind of the end of the Amarillo territory? No, go ahead and tell me. So they went up to New Mexico and they had brought in uh, Tommy Rich to do some spots. And and they're they're all outside of the car and these these teenage girls drive by in a truck and they start screaming like crazy and freaking out. And Terry's like, man, I must be looking good today or something. And uh, then they realize that it's because of, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling being broadcasted on on like a national tv network and it, they were cheering for tommy rich <laughs> and then terry ends up selling the territory to blackjack mulligan for like not very much because he kind of knew it was already the end he actually didn't want to sell it to him at all but they convinced him to, to sell it uh just because he kind of knew it was the end of the uh the end of an, an error terry funk's always kind of had his hand on the pulse of wrestling in a weird way like that, like kind of knew that things were going to change and, and be different at various points in his career. But yeah, that was, that was just a fun story. You know, being here from Georgia, we've talked about Tommy rich many times on this, on this show, but I think it, I just found All it five. funny that that's, uh, <laughs> I thought it was funny that that's what alerted Terry Funk to the fact that TV was going to be a big deal. And maybe he should get out of owning a territory. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking so many crazy stories. Uh, and you're right also about Dory Jr. and his father, too. But Dory Jr., I think he had the NWA title three times. I could be wrong about that, but a fantastic wrestler, a wrestler's wrestler. It's just that he might be one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but Terry just, he's such a personality on top of that. And he also was a collegiate wrestler himself. Because that's how their dad was. I mean, wrestling obviously was real to them. Uh, but last story, 
uh, before we go into the other uh, half of this, um, <laughs> was the moonsault the first time that Jim Cornette was at the ring when Jerry did a fucking moonsault in front of them. And he, he even said, like, help me, Corny, when he went up there. And, like, Cornette's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he did a moonsault, completely ate shit and missed it. And was like, ow, I'm, I'm hurt, Corny. And Cornette's like, well, why the fuck did you do a moonsault? What are you doing? Like, you know, and Terry's in his 50s doing this shit, deciding to try to be great Muda. And, uh, yeah, just, I love Terry Funk. He loved wrestling. And I think that's the biggest thing. That's one of the craziest, craziest stories because he stacks chairs all over top of his opponent before doing <laughs> Oh, man. I, I I had the op- I've I've had the luck in my life to be able to have seen Terry wrestle and and meet Terry Funk and he was a super super nice guy to me and was like that to all of his fans and absolute legend definitely will be missed probably one of my favorites of all time right up there with you know Dusty Austin Funk Flair um they'll never be Hybrid. another Terry Terry Funk they'll they they just will never be someone that level of that level of intensity. And, you know, Stone Cold always makes the, I just take myself and I turn it up, you know, to 10. And Terry Funk is kind of like that amplified to fucking 100. <laughs> oh, man. There's so many great promos, too. Like the uh, the one I sent you on Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ride you, I'm gonna whip you, I'm gonna spur you, and I'm gonna put you up wet, boy. <laughs> it's just any any of the ones where they, he's just hauling ass in his truck at the double cross ranch as well and gets out. Those are pretty great. Uh, obviously, the any of the flare stuff. The one that you brought up earlier, where he's in the back cutting. The, these poor guys are trying to have a match, and Terry Funk just starts cutting a promo, like over top of the match, and then goes to the ring and just beats the shit out of them, and then keeps cutting a promo. Oh uh, man, what what a what a what a legend. We we lost a great one, and like I said, we I think. It's we're lucky that we live in a world where we have we have the ability to go back and and there's so much content of Terry Funk that we can look back on. Amen, man. Definitely agree with you on that. Um, And as you crack a beer. We're going to. We're going to end this discussion. I took a couple of tequila shots before this, so I'm sure Terry would have been happy. Um, You know, we're, we're going to do our normal 10 seconds to salute the great Terry Funk. We will miss you and thank you for (laughs) giving your body, like I said, from 1965 to 2017 and just being a great inspirational, influential wrestler. So here's 10 seconds for Terry Funk. All right. You know, I wasn't. I'm never obviously happy, Chris, with situations like this, but reflecting on Terry Funk 
Um, I was happy to be able to do that with you. This next situation, man, I don't even know. I'm much more going in blind. Before we get into it, do you want some of the updates from, because you probably didn't get a chance to listen to it, but the the Observer podcast, where were some additional details probably, I mean, came out around Bray, so I don't know if you want to talk about that or. Let me know. Tell me right now. Definitely. So when he was released, um, they were aware of his heart condition then, which was two years ago. Um, and that was probably part of the release that and how much he was being paid. And then WWE obviously brings him back in. But that set my fucking crawl uh, a little bit last night after hearing that. Uh, so I, I wasn't sure if you had heard about that uh, at all. I mean, obviously, co- he had a, a, got a contracted a terrible case of COVID, one of those long, long-term COVIDs, which exacerbated the issue, whatever that issue may be. But the idea that they released this guy kind of at the peak of his career because of how much he was getting paid in his, I mean, I'm sure he was doubling whatever he was getting paid because of the merch sales during that time period. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. That really pissed me off. So uh, I wasn't sure if you'd heard about that. Nope. And uh, that's why I can't say I'm not happy with the current, uh, the way things are now. That's all I got to say, because Hunter brought him back. Um, you know, man, we were wondering, is he going to go to AW? Is he going to go to Japan? He had that Kabuki mask, you know. Ugh. Just what the fuck, man. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it, it's just... It's just terrible. I mean, we talked about it on the show. I... I... I would have loved to have seen that show up in New Japan. I think that would have been one of the coolest and different things uh, in that company. But unfortunately, even if he he wanted to go there, they were they were not doing well financially because of the the COVID era of New Japan wrestling, and they still haven't fully recovered to the point where they didn't really even make competitive offers for people like Jay White and Juice Robinson recently. Um, So I think that that may have had a lot to do with us not seeing him on the independent scene. And, you know, we don't know what we don't have all of the details of whatever the heart condition was, but that may have had a lot to do with him. um, Maybe not getting signed as quickly as we, you know, originally thought, because we we thought as soon as the non-compete was up, he was going somewhere. Right. Yeah, I definitely thought that. But we would, you know, see him come back. I don't know, man. It just it's a terrible situation. Just the fact that him and Brody, man, just Brody with I mean, they said it wasn't COVID, but it sounded exactly like it. And, you know, we couldn't figure it out, but it damaged his lungs to the point that that ended his life. And, you know, you have a situation where he has a heart condition, he gets COVID and then, you know, he was doing well from what they said, from what Sean Rossap reported. And then had a uh, heart attack, just a massive heart attack that got him a couple days ago. So, yeah, and it's it, it's so crazy because we were just talking about uh, him being in the back at one of the Rawls recently. So I I thought you know we were going to be seeing this guy back in the next you know couple months, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just very sad. And I guess we can, you, you want to talk some about our favorite Bray Wyatt moments, some of his Absolutely. best matches. Um, I'm going to start off with a story, you know, so I was, I got out of wrestling around 2006, 2007, and I, and I enjoyed TNA and, and WWE at the time. I just didn't have enough time because I was working for the first time in my life, you know, and shit like that. And, uh, had friends and wanted to party and shit like that. So I couldn't always catch. And it's crazy now that I think about it because I missed a good chunk of Shawn Michaels ending career. But what are you going to do? But either way, when I got back into it, there was a couple things. One was seeing on YouTube CM Punk uh, do the pipe bomb promo. One was Sting coming back to WWE. But the thing that really set me back in motion to get back into wrestling is when on Rock 100 uh, during the Regular Guys podcast, I did a promo and I beat who's an active wrestler. I'll say it on the show. Love you, Mike. I beat Mike O'Rourke because he was right behind me. We had no idea that it was us, but that's the truth behind it. Uh, he ended up doing a promo, and I told everyone what the Great Dane was cooking and got tickets to Survivor Series that me and my good friend Hoyt went to. Uh, that Survivor Series, by the way, um, uh, what, what the hell was ISIS uh, threatened that they were going to bomb the place? So that was fun getting back into wrestling, going to that live event. But I'll never forget not knowing who the fuck Bray Wyatt, the Wyatt family was, you know, you had him, Eric Rowan and Luke Harper come to the ring and seeing this. And this is supposed to be this promoted as one of the last times you'll see Undertaker, the last time you'll see Undertaker in Georgia. Um, but just being blown away, like, OK, like I didn't know why, but I could see why this group with this entrance that's like this. uh having a match with Kane and the Undertaker. And then I got to see Undertaker's entrance and then Kane's entrance. And they had a fun fucking match where at the end of it, Bray got put through the announce table with a double choke slam by uh, Kane and Undertaker. And this led up obviously to Undertaker and, and Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. But that mainly was the reason why I started kind of watching wrestling again, just being at a live show. I had great tickets because we won them. And experience Taker live. I'm so happy I got to do that. Experiencing Kane and his entrance live. I'm so happy. And now it is because Brody's no longer here and 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 Bray's no longer here. Um, you know, it's a great experience because I got to see them too. So my uh, my first experience of seeing Bray Wyatt uh, in the Wyatt family live was not as <laughs> well it's kind of funny uh, it was right after they first started I think it was either a it was either a Smackdown or a raw it was at it was at Phillips arena and uh, I got a husky Harris chant going <laughs> and he gave me this death stare so that was my that was my first experience with the Wyatt family. Not as uh, not as nice as yours, but it was it was fucking really funny. And and uh, the guy I went with, Chris Chris Shepard, uh, I was telling him he he is a huge Bray, Bray Wyatt's one of his favorites of all time. And uh, I was we were reminiscing on that story because he's the guy I went to the show with. He was like it was hilarious. I thought he was going to murder you. Man, uh, but you know, know, obviously he was Chris. selling it. 
Well, yeah, I also don't know if I'd want ever in my life Bray Wyatt, you know, just looking at me fucking <laughs> like with his eyes, man. I mean, that's one thing that I will say. Probably Bray's best thing when it comes to trying to bring horror aspects or things like that. His facial expressions were creepy. Him doing the Cthulhu, you know, with his hair falling down when he went and did the uh, uh, the Exorcist crab walk thing right before the Sister Abigail. Kissing him on the forehead. The sounds. The you know, those type of like audible things that it just, he was a mastermind. I would have loved to see him work and do a horror movie. I know that they he had talks to do that. I think that he would have had a lot of fun. I'm not even saying necessarily as a character. I'm saying behind the screen. You know, he was friends with Rob Zombie. He was friends, obviously, with Tom Savini, who did his mask. Um, all of his, his masks. Uh, the Fiend mainly is the one that really... I mean, the Fiend mask for this generation, I feel like for kids, is going to be like the Crow mask, the Crow Sting mask when we were kids. Um, also was a top-selling merch item for a very long time. But... Um, and I will say, and I don't know who was, if it was Nick, if it was Vince, if it was Triple H, that's terrible that they did that. And, and it's, and, you know, it just makes me just have a scowl towards Vince. But I will say that I'm happy that they put all of his merch on sale and that all the proceeds for the merch uh, is going to JoJo and his four children. Because, my God, um, that's a lot of kids for her, for her you know, just... Uh, anyways, uh, I don't know where the fuck I was going with this, man. Uh, so I'll just pass it. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I, I was on Tom Clark's podcast yesterday talking about Bray and Funk. So for those out there, check out Tom Clark's main event. Um, I think we both needed support buddies <laughs> to get through that one. But we were talking about some of the favorite matches and, and one that came up and, and still comes to mind, which is crazy because all of these guys in various ways or have been at the top of their companies, whether it's AEW or WWE is the shield versus the Wyatt family and how good that feud was and, and how good some of those matches were. Yeah. Especially I would say, uh, what was it? Elimination chamber where it was like the three of them head on against the three of them in, Oh, man, I think that's 2014. I look. I just looked this stuff up yesterday, so that's the reason I have it fresh in my memory banks. Yeah, that that feud was great. I also liked the match that they did at TLC, where it was uh, the four of them when Braun joined them, and they went against the ECW legends with Tommy, Bully, Devon, and who was the other person? R- Rhino. That was a fun match I watched yesterday. Um. As far as Y family. And then obviously, like I said, them against Undertaker and Kane is going to resonate to me because I was actually there for that experience. So I haven't watched it back, so I don't know if it's an instant classic. But I will say, man, Undertaker really, really liked Bray. So did Jake the Snake. A lot of his influences, Kevin Sullivan, you know, apparently kept up with Bray. Um, And that's good to have support by your heroes. So, but yeah, this them and the shield, man. I mean, you got to think about it. I was thinking about this, Chris. You know, you got the reality era, which is uh, the beginning of the 2010s, and all these guys get sprinkled in towards the end of it. 
from NXT or, or FCW, whatever you want to like say it. Um, because their biggest guys obviously were your Brian Danielsons, The Miz, CM Punk, John Cena obviously was still very relevant, uh, Randy Orton as well. When you see the transition to this last era, which I call the NXT era or the next era, whatever you want to fucking call it, Bray's up there with everyone else, man. I mean, it was really an invasion. I would say it's Charlotte, Roman, and probably arguably Bray as like some of the bigger, you know, people, but Seth Rollins, John Moxley, obviously, Dean Ambrose at the time, Ben Balor, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. The Horsewoman, Asuka, Alexa, they were that generation. And now they're, it's, well, in not Bray's case, but now they're becoming the fucking future legends that are putting over the new talent. It just, we're getting fucking old is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And we, it was a crazy transition because it was, we're, we were in a very stale period of wrestling up until Punk's pipe bomb. And even after that, I wouldn't call it like a, uh, you know, they, it still wasn't as good as when they, when the, when the shield shows up and, and when the Wyatt family shows up uh, and you, you start getting, you know, Fl- Charlotte Flair and the change of the divas era. I mean, it is crazy to look back on uh, as someone who watched all of it. It's crazy to look back on that and see where we are now and, and where all of those guys are, you know, um, from from the shield and, and where bright Bray Wyatt got to in his career at being those next top guys. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just insane, man. That was a huge talent pool in FCW in the beginning of NXT there. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned him, he started off as Huskies Harris, but like when he transitioned, that was when he was what underneath Cody for the tough enough, NXT competition when they first started like that when he and I've heard Dusty talk about him when when he got the promo class and it started taking a little bit from Jake and uh, Florida Championship Wrestling Kevin Sullivan and you know all these and Charles Manson um, and brought out this cult leader sometimes his, his promos yeah he, he was great at promos sometimes they were kind of like they left you like what the fuck, and some of them were so direct that you were like, "This guy could be a fucking psycho in real life." <laughs> and I think that was the desired effect that Bray was trying to do because, and one thing I loved hearing, it seemed like he had, well, I mean, Biggie talked about it, and lots of wrestlers, um, you know, Malachi Black mentioned this that Bray really reached out to him. Because he liked that he was another darker character and tried to give him Big E. He took him underneath his wing and really, you know, uh, Enzo was another guy that said that Bray was the most giving guy. And he helped a lot with people with their promos if they're having that issue. Uh, So he gave back. But he also had like a not necessarily like Fit Finley where he trained them more like Mick Foley during his time. All the female wrestlers, man, have put him over as so caring, so giving trying to help them out as much that he could. Uh, Lexa Bliss, just watching her do that video where you could tell she looks like she's been crying a lot and she's pregnant too, you know, just talking about Bray. And even if me and you didn't like that time period per se, you know, that really 
just loving how creative he was and how giving he was. Uh, I think that should be said for the man of, uh, you know, Wyndham Rotunda. Yeah, I mean, it was never really about Brace performance at all. It was always just about how they were going to book those matches. And it's, I think, I think we were kind of talking about, about it previously or on a, a, a previous episode of, you know, Bray kind of is the one that was in control of these ideas. But sometimes the problem is like when Vince likes an idea, uh, he wants to fuck with it. And I think that is kind of what we saw with some of the Fiend stuff, unfortunately. I mean, I am sure I am. Uh, I am almost I'm a million percent positive that it was not, you know, Bray Wyatt's idea to, you know, turn all the lights red during his matches or have cockroaches crawling on the ring with an led board or any of the, the dumber things that we hated about some of those matches. Uh, so just a very talented performer. And I mean, I have, I've never really heard anyone have a bad thing to say about Bray uh, in the back, kind of similar to Terry Funk. I mean, it seems like it's always been positive. Uh, the only thing I like, I think the the big the bigger thing for you and I when we when we were talking about Bray in the past and, and uh, his, some of his wrestling in ring is that we wanted him to be more dastardly, <laughs> right? Just yeah. to, uh, um, but obviously we don't know. Like they, we don't know what was asked by the agents that were booking his matches or uh, moving that process along. That's something that we'll never know. I do know that. For a guy his size, he could fucking move, much like Kevin Owens. And uh, when he would hit the ropes, he hit the ropes hard. That cross body that he would do just looked incredible, looked devastating as hell. And Sister Abigail is such a such a cool move. And and like you were talking about, some of his little flares, the facial expressions, his laugh. He's just got this crazy infectious laugh and uh, the kiss on the forehead before hitting Sister Abigail. Like all of those little things. Um, made a lot of his matches great, despite of some of the other stuff that we we potentially didn't like. Uh, but yeah, it, it has to be insane for Alexa Bliss. I, it, once again, I don't, I, I can't even put that on any of those guys because I we know <laughs> we know where a lot of this stuff comes from is the pencil, not not the performer. When it comes to WWE, yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you look at, obviously Jake had a lot of issues, but if you, if you look at someone who Jake had a lot of nice things to say about Bray, he's always talked very highly of him and said that he keeps up with them and whatnot. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just going to assume obviously like a mentor type relationship, but, uh, you know, towards the end, after the awesome Jake, the snake Roberts has the fucking Cobra bite macho man then he's doing these stupid things where he's got like a fucking snake pit and under or undertakers hidden in there and he brings the ultimate warrior all i'm saying is like if guys are creative in the wwe they always have to go hit a wall that is vince mcmahon so i agree with you that i mean thinking about alexa bliss what the fuck was the match with randy orton where she came out and she had like the blood fountain on her head and and that completely killed the fiend. That was the end of him. Um, after he burned alive, like during the fucking, there's just a lot of 
crappy booking. He still was the top guy, two-time Universal Champion, one-time SmackDown Champion with uh, Luke Harper, one-time Raw Champion with, I think it was Randy Orton, and then a one-time WWE Champion. You know, he did get his, get his accolades, but we really, like you said, he didn't want the Firefly Funhouse going on that long. That was supposed to be a creepy thing at the beginning, and then he was going to trail away from that. Um, but visually, kind of also like with the sounds, when I first saw The Fiend and the entrance and him come down, and then my boss is like, who's into horror movies but not into wrestling, is asking me, like, what the fuck is this? And me being able to explain to him because people are like, he looks fucking terrifying. And he's taking out people left and right, legends and Jerry Lawler, the very famous where Jer- the all of a sudden it starts doing the same thing. And Lawler's like, nope, I'm out of here and tries to get out of the ring. But then Bray shows up in the middle and grabs him, you know, and, and, and does the sister Abigail to him or, or get, no, he gave him the mandible claw. I loved it. Also hearing that he asked permission from Mick if he could do that. Like, you don't have to do that with legends. He went out of his way, obviously, because he respected Mick Foley to ask him if he could use his submission finisher. Um, But, like, also, even the fucking, whatever the hell, the Mountain Dew pitch black match. Him, visually, with the fucking glow-in-the-dark, you know, he looked like a fucking monster. He literally looked like a demon from hell. I wish we got to see... I think the most creative he was was during the Wyatt family. That's when I feel like they let him do a little bit more. Now, sometimes they would have children coming out and singing We Got the Whole World in in His Hands when fighting John Cena. But I think that creatively he had a lot more control of his character during that time than The Fiend, which was the height of him. Obviously, they wanted him to go back to that, and he pushed. um, You know, I, I think that that was... When his promos weren't, you could tell, weren't scripted as much, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that was the time where he was allowed to be creative as much as possible. Even with a creepy rocking chair rocking back and forth by itself, you know? And then we get matches with Randy Orton in houses and matches with Matt Hardy in different places and the swamp match with Braun Strowman, you know? I mean, they tried. He tried to do different things. Sometimes it was, like I just said with that last one, during the pandemic. But goddamn, he was creative as fuck. Very creative. And, and you know, The Fiend, at, at its face value, when it first happened, much like you, it was, like, it, it was kind of a cool idea, you know? And then you... I, 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 great look. I mean, getting Tom Savini to work on the mask with him and, like, the character is just next level it's the booking that happened afterwards that always was what turned me off about it because you know the, the we got the hell in a cell match with seth rollins you get uh, some of the stuff with alexa bliss that just got like a little too too wwe uh kind of like warrior you know papa shingo and warrior type level of wwe which is not not a great thing um and then, you know, you just have the guy lose to like 30 seconds after building him up, making him undefeated for so long. You have him lose 30 seconds to fucking Bill Goldberg. Like, it's just, there's nothing that I'm just saying there's if you if there there are people out there that talk about Bray in, in or did. I don't know if they they're still going to be out there talking about Bray. Um, 
in a negative light. But I think the me the thing that me and you have focused on over the years is just uh, like or over the past, I guess, three years at this point, because um, he got going back to before he got released is just some of the just the, the dumbest shit. And I think that's why when he put that Kabuki demon mask out, we were really hyped for that because I wanted to see what what it would be like if he was able to kind of control his own narrative, his own uh, his own decision making. Because like you said, he's obviously a very creative guy. Um, yeah, it's it's so it's so sad, man, because I think that, you know, when he came back and he cut that very baby face promo, um, which I thought was some of the best stuff he, he had done in, in a while uh, when he first first came back. I think I even said on the show, I was like, I kind of don't want him to go directly back to the fiend. I would like to see where that goes. Uh, and unfortunately we, I guess we'll, we'll never know. Cause I wanted to see what the payoff was with uncle howdy and, and all of that stuff. Like that it, it's uh, I think that it would be a lot better situation with where the company is now, um, who is in charge of creative now. And, uh, you know, WWE has gotten a lot better than it was kind of at the height of the fiend, just all around booking wise and, and storyline wise. So yeah, just, just sucks, man. And I will say, because you mentioned uncle howdy, if, and it's, it's kind of like how I felt about Mark uh, when Jay passed away with the Briscoes with AEW, if, and when, if Bo Dallas wants to come back, I'd love to see him, you know, do that. Basically, within the WWE, I wouldn't just drop him. Because um, he's a hell of a talent. I thought he was creative, too. You know, it, Bo Leave is a little bit different than what his brother did. But, you know, um, I, 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 stuff like this sometimes motivates you. And if they had plans to use him, I don't want to see him come out as Uncle Howdy. All the Bray stuff has to be done. I think that was the last of it of seeing that ominous chair. And then I don't know how they did that last night. That was a really cool effect with looking like he was in the ring. Um, was kind of confused about that, but just, uh, yeah, I'd like to see Bo get a chance to really, you know, do some shit in the WWE this time. Yeah. When they first cut to that, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be taker. I honestly did because of the way that they, it was a, it was a hard zoom. Like it was just a really cool camera angle um, of that big LED board that they have, but it looked insane with the lighting and the fog and the, and the lantern. Um, yeah, that's. That, I I also hope that they do something with Bo Dallas. Um, for for many reasons, I like Bo Dallas when he, when he was Bo Leave. Uh, he obviously, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that he got necessarily the fairest of shake with some of the things that they put him in either, but Bo Dallas is an incredible wrestler. And I, I was looking forward to seeing what that match was like with those two guys being brothers and kind of coming up at the same time in FCW. I was very interested to see that match because I thought it would be very, very good. Um, speaking of very good matches, we brought this one up. You brought this one up to me yesterday and, and I went back and rewatched it afterwards that Brian Danielson strap match was fucking incredible i think that's the probably if i had to pick bray's best match that would probably be it and it's not just because of the peak i don't want anyone to think that i'm saying it just because it's daniel bryan 
it was just a great fucking strap match, and it's something we hadn't seen in WWE in a very, very long time. And those two guys beat the ever-loving hell out of each other. And uh, I would actually say that it's probably Brian Danielson's best match after his injury coming back into WWE. Uh, the only caveat, I mean, I guess you could throw in the, the three-way match um, for the title. But as far as like in-ring work and everything that he was doing, those two absolutely killed it uh, in the fucking ring. And I wish we would have gotten more Brian Danielson matches against uh, against either The Fiend or Bray Wyatt because those two guys tore the house down with that match. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's like you always go back to that one with Seth, and you know, I think everyone does because of the red lighting. But he, the Fiend, had some like the one with with uh, Danielson or the match, the one of the first ones with him and Finn, and Corey brought out, you know, Michael Cole was going over like you know Finn's had matches with Bray Wyatt, then you had the Fiend against Finn, and you had the Demon against Bray, and it's like. Corey's like, yeah, we didn't get one combination. That would have been pretty awesome. And it's like, as stupid as it is, there is a part of me that does like that horror element of having the demon against the fiend, you know. Uh, but that that was a creative character that he really sunk. When he grabs the fucking strap, like right near his wrist, Brian Danielson pulls him in and clotheslines the fuck out of him. Like that's it. Bray was stiff, kind of stiff skis. Sometimes he was snug, I should say. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he was fast, man. Like you said, the crossbody or the Vader fucking splash in the corner he would do. You know, uh, one thing one thing Tommy Dreamer said is that he tried to pop Ray Wyatt when they were working at a uh, show building up to, you know, that ECW versus Wyatt family thing that they did at TLC. And they're working a house show and. He went to go kiss him on the forehead for the sister Abigail, and Tommy just had his like tongue sticking out of his mouth, like you know, pretending like trying to pop quiet, <laughs> basically. But what a cool <laughs> finisher! And I would love to see Jay White kind of give like a wink if he does it. Um, you know, I know that Bray. I don't think he invented that move. Maybe he did. I know that Velveteen Dream did an inverted version of it, and then Jay kind of does the exact same thing. So. Uh, it's a really cool move, man. It looks and the way that Bray would do it, like a guy that big, you wouldn't think would be able to, to get in a spider crab fucking exorcist looking thing and then crawl into it, you know? Yeah, it, it's 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 that was always a really cool visual. Oh, man, I am. It is so sad that we never got Joe Samoa Joe versus Bray, because that would have been a hell of a promo battle and they would have beat the absolute piss out of each other and probably had some really great matches the, the fact that they they may have had like a one-off match i'm trying to think but like that we didn't get like joe being crazy samoa joe like hey wendy versus like a beret that would have been yeah that would have been some top tier shit right there yeah man it would have been godzilla versus king kong for christ's sakes and that's the thing like <laughs> Bray wasn't like a seven foot guy, which you kind of made a, a comment that I agree with is they kind of made him try to be giant like. And he was I mean, he was six, three, six, four. So it's not like he was small, but, you know, I like seeing him be more quick 
And you saw a little bit less of that with The Fiend. Like, he would still do some of those things, but he was definitely more like big monster guy, you know? And that's, I don't know. I, I kind of liked it when The Fiend was more of a psycho. He wasn't really an entity. He was like his psychotic side coming out because he put the mask on and people were disappearing in the ring and getting their asses kicked. Old legends and shit, you know. There was really something there at the beginning of that whole thing. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. But, man, dude, like I said, the whole locker room, I mean, a majority of them knew him, and you could tell they were devastated last night. And uh, just seeing the pictures of his beautiful wife, JoJo, and their four children, and, you know... It just uh, that's the biggest thing. More so when you make shitty comments, think about stuff like that. You know, I just he was a man. I I was very surprised that WWE went to the level of a tribute show that they did because the last time the last time they did a tribute show like that was the Benoit show. They had steered clear of that kind of stuff for a very, very long time. So it was nice seeing, you know, Triple H being in, like being so involved and in, in then putting together what I thought was a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful video package. And then the entire show just being great wrestling, which I think shows the appreciation that the entire locker room and Triple H and everyone had for for Bray. All right, well. You know, this one, like I said, it's just way too fucking soon. But way too soon. Yeah, way too fucking soon. And much like Jay, I think that we were maybe going to miss some of the biggest shit of their career, kind of with the timing and and everything that was going on. Because I like I like I said, I wanted to see where they finished up that storyline with Bray, especially with the. With the way WWE is currently, which I think is being booked a lot better than it was at some of the other height of Bray Wyatt. Uh, And with Jay Briscoe, kind of a similar situation, kind of their first, you know, big televised stuff with Ring of Honor, big pay-per-view stuff with with AEW kind of backing it. And I was was still hopeful that they would eventually be able to get Jay and Mark together. Um, So just two very unfortunate passings. And the same thing with Brody Lee. Yeah, it just it just hurts so bad when, you know, these guys are taken way too soon. I mean, Bray Wyatt is the same age as me, man. He's younger than me. Jesus. So it's just awful. And once again, condolences to to his family and all of his friends and anyone that he worked with. I mean, it's. It's sad. I can't imagine, like I said, if you, like being part of his family or being one of these people um, that he's worked with for so many years, like what they're going through, because he just even as a fan or even as my wife being a huge fan. Um, God, it hurt, dude. It was, I was like I said, we were both crying and it's been very sad. I think it was um, Philip Pierce had posted some photos of where I had went as the eater of worlds for a casket creature show. and. Uh, 2021 and he had showed up as the fiend so there's this great photo of us hugging (laughs) as both of them and and just like man 
Bray Wyatt, even though he wasn't in the wrestling business for a long time, he made one hell of a fucking impact and definitely was a creative force. And I'll just I'll leave it at that because uh, I think we could go on forever about Funk and Bray, but just both are going to be missed. All of the legends that we've lost so far this year, man, it's it's just been. I feel like we just get punched in the face each month at this point. It really feels like that sometimes, man. Yeah, and uh, I agree with the, everything that you just said. And, uh, you know, he's legendary. And he didn't have to have the longest career to be able to do that. But he will live on. And I really hope with him passing, because it's very hard to pull off that style of character. I mean, there's Muda, Taker. Kane, Milamortes, maybe, but you know, Malachi made a post about how Bray told him to like, no, fucking keep with this character, man. Because I think in WWE at first they wanted to just make him a mixed martial arts, and Bray kind of pushed him in the direction to like stick up for himself, basically, and keep the the more creepy version of himself. And I I just think that it's hard to do, but I don't want it to die. I want I, I love horror and when it's done right, I love seeing characters that are actually like scary, like Abdul the Butcher, you know, like Undertaker, like when they're staring across from someone, that person in real life is actually kind of intimidating. So that's that's my uh, little two cents at the end of it. And I don't know. I I, I think there is going to be more room for more of what we like out of those kind of characters with Triple H running the helm over in WWE. It's just who is going to be the next person to step up and and be that kind of character and, and be that broad and creative. There's definitely room out there for someone to do it, right? And uh, this is probably as good a time as any. I'm not, you know, as far as the, as far as WWE goes, because that this is going to leave a gaping hole of something very creative someone could do. So it's it'll be interesting to see who then who who is going to be that next creative mind that can come up with that cool kind of character like you're talking about like a uh you know like a like a mil mortez or, or or a muda or a bray or an undertaker um and hopefully with triple h in charge there it will be less of the goofy mysticism stuff that we don't necessarily like and more of like the horror aspect of of even like a Samoa Joe where you're just terrified of the person, right? So, yeah. Yeah. The psychological concept in that, for sure. Jake's another one when it comes to that aspect. But anyways, you know, I know that we just did this, but two people. But the Eater of Worlds, uh, the Fiend, um, you know, the, the grandson of Blackjack Mulligan, the son of Mike Rotunda, the nephew of Barry Wyndham, and the brother of Bo Dallas, even behind a beautiful family. Um, Bray Wyatt, we will miss you, and we love you. Uh, 10-second salute for Wyndham Rotunda. All right, man. Uh, we got some pay per views. <laughs> Real quick, 
Uh, you brought up Blackjack Mulligan, and I meant to get this in, but uh, did you know that Bray's indie name at one point was Moonshine Mulligan? Dude, that's fucking awesome. I know. I heard Dave mentioned it yesterday on his podcast. I was like, holy shit, what a great name. <laughs> Sorry. I just, yeah, I had to bring it up because I meant to earlier and uh, we talked about creativity and stuff. What a hell of a name. What a, definitely worked like his, like his grandpa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go watch the matches with it's like that same type of concept. Quick and fucking stiff skis, you know? But, uh, yeah. That's, th- that is so awesome. I'm glad that you told me that. That's just a, a cool little tidbit. Um, but yeah, uh, this is, it's hard to go from here. And we have one of the biggest pay per views probably of all time and definitely AEW's biggest pay per view with All In. Um, and I know. Like I said, I'm pretty sure, just like they had on Rampage, uh, everyone, this is the type of stuff that unfortunately brings people together, and I think that we will see stuff on the NWA show, like I said, their 75th show, um, or 75th anniversary, I should say. God, we are old. Jesus Christ, NWA's been around for that long. Um, You'll see sprinkles of stuff, and I'm sure wrestlers... Like I said, man, it's it, Jay White does the exact same finisher as Bray. So, um, I we're gonna see some some tributary stuff, but we actually do have some events to go over their card before we get out of here. Um, so let's. I'm gonna run through. I know that me and you. I'm gonna watch it tonight, and I know there's another one tomorrow night. So I don't know if I'll watch that live, but that's where the fucking title match is. Uh, me and you probably, at least for me, have not been keeping up with NWA, but they got their huge show that's got two nights, starting with tonight. Um, and mainly, I know Matt Cardona has a match, and we don't know who his opponent is. Uh, Jack Stane, who I believe is from, is he from Georgia? No, 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 he's not from Georgia. That's Jared Kratos. I'm confusing with him. Uh there's a couple matches I specifically want to talk to you about, Chris. One is for the the light or the uh, NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Pretty fucking awesome. And I know they've had a rivalry, but the champion, Kerry Morton, uh, son of a guy named Ricky Morton, is going against uh, some dude named Colby Carino, son of a guy that I think people have heard of called Steve Carino. Um, I've seen a match with them. It was probably about a year back. They have incredible chemistry and you know, they're going to go all out. Are you looking forward to seeing two second generation wrestlers beat the hell out of each other and try to out compete each other for the junior heavyweight championship An illustrious title that has been held by many people, including, uh, the great Danny Hodge. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that match. I like Colby Carino a lot. I was actually surprised when they let him go from NXT because he was at the Performance Center for a while. Um, that should be a really, really fun match. Now, that being said, I have not kept up with NWA like, like you just mentioned. So I have no idea what the story was building into this match, but it should be a good match. 
I think that's what me and you are basically looking at just in general. It's like, well, that should be fun, you know, because um, like I said, we have not been keeping up with this. And the other big match is the second night tomorrow night. And that is Tyrus, the champion, going against EC3. And I want to mention that since Tyrus, I think, has had it for a fucking year. If EC3 doesn't win this match, I don't think I'm ever going to watch anything for NWA ever. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of been the big problem with me in NWA is that I, I've never really been a big fan of the Funkasaurus, regardless of what fucking outside of his just stupid shit that he said when he was on Fox News or whatever. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that guy. I don't think he's that great in the ring. I think it's ridiculous that they ever put the belt on him to begin with. I know a lot of it had to do with Matt Cardona getting hurt. Uh, but yeah, they need to get the belt off of them. And bringing in, if Cardona is going to be around for a while, that maybe should be their next feud would be Cardona versus EC3. I will. I would love that feud. And uh, I just read this. It's a bull rope match. So uh, if Tyrus loses, he must retire from in-ring competition. So I'm assuming Tyrus is going to retire. Uh, he's going to be the champion. Because if not, like I said, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> I didn't know that was the fucking stip. So now it makes me think that he's going to retain. Which, like I said... Uh, Never been a fan of the guy, whether it was in WWE or Impact or now NWA. He's easy. I'm still a little sore about the fact that they managed to piss off Nick Aldis so hard <laughs> with with that entire thing. I mean, Nick Aldis to me, this version of NWA doesn't exist without Nick Aldis. And uh, Tyrus is a big linchpin in part of the reason that Nick Aldis left from, from what he has said. And, uh, yeah, man. And now he's going to be a, ba- a backstage producer at 36 for fucking WWE. God damn it. Love Nick Aldis. Yeah. I wish that he would just get over, man. You should. I'm not going to say you should have stayed with Impact, but that sucks. I, I mean, I don't know the extent of what what is going on with Nick Aldis, but, you know, hey, if you're looking for fucking Cody Rhodes to have something to do, and you got Nick Aldis right there backstage, maybe he becomes more than a backstage producer. I'm just saying, like... Hopefully. Bobby Roode also... A feud. Yeah, Bobby Roode yeah. as well is now a producer for the, for the whole thing, which really glorious, if you ask me. Oh, man. Well, I, would, I would keep in mind that Bobby Roode is actually a lot older than people would think, because I think he's like 40, 43. He looks great. Um, unfortunate to say, but at least it's at the age of 99, uh, Bob, I, or Bob Barker has left the building. Oh man, that's, uh, that's really, really sad. I'm not going to lie. I, for, for some reason, I thought that he had passed away. Like maybe that's one of those internet Twitter things that I didn't check into, but remember like when you would be home from school sick and oh, like, yeah. all the TV was crap, and then the Price is Right would come on. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's when I think of Bob Barker. I think about like either being home from school sick or faking being sick, and then you're just like stuck watching nothing on TV until the Price is Right comes on, and then like Judge Judy at like two. Absolutely, that was my same lineup, and then 
somehow I would try to make it through uh, whatever was on Nick Jr. that was way younger than me to get to Muppet Babies. Because, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was th- that's what you did. And then you watched Jerry Springer later on. Um, anyways, all right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was, you popped me with the Jerry Springer. Yeah. I was trying. I was trying. That's, that's good. Let's talk about all in because this is what we're all in on. I got to be honest with you. I was trying to remember who the fuck was on the card besides the main event. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. So we got this all established. Um, there's 11 fucking matches, so <laughs> it's uh, there's a lot of people on the card. Uh, I'm so glad this is starting early because they're in friggin' the UK, so I don't have to like you know try to stay up until midnight to watch all this. But let's start off with the two pre show matches that have been announced. They're doing Jack Perry and Hook for the FTW Championship. And then obviously we know about the main big one, Aussie Open going against MJF and Adam Cole uh, for the Ring of Honor tag titles. Let's start off with Jack Perry and Hook. Is Does it make sense to have Hook beat Jack Perry pretty much right when he comes back? Um, or keep it on Jack to, to get some heat? I mean, he's doing like Naito shit, dragging the damn belt and looking at Taz with a big smile. Uh He's getting better as a heel. I actually think that Jack Perry needs to win this. I, I can see where you're coming from on that, but they put the stip on that he's going to retire the belt if he wins. Oh, um, well. which might which which might not necessarily be the worst thing because they have a bazillion belts. But uh, being that you know Hook has never held that FTW title, I think that Hook. Personally, I think Hook has kind of more upside. Um, I, I, I'm gonna I, if I had to give a prediction, I would say Hook wins the match. But I, I'm just not all in on. I well, I've never really been all in on Jungle Jack Perry. And there's things about some of the stuff he does in ring that I don't necessarily care for that much. And the heel character, while it has been better, channeling his inner Naito, uh, I think it was just. He should have turned during that four-way match if they were going to turn him heel and kind of aligned himself with MJF, which, to be fair, I did, you know, hindsight's, you know, 2020, and also the storyline that they went to is turning MJF babyface, so it wouldn't have worked now with where they ended up going. But the way that they turned him heel, the, the, the storyline just hasn't really worked for me. Um, but yeah, I... It's a pre-show match. It's crazy that we have a pre-show match on a fucking card that ha- that it's already going to be like five hours long. But I-, I get it, I guess. Well, here's the one that everyone seems not to get, and I kind of agree. My aspect is all right. Yeah, it's weird to have the two main eventers, uh, you know, one being the champion, on a pre-show match. But my concept is, I feel like this exposes what's going to happen in the in, in the championship match. Because if MJF and Adam Cole win, how are they going to go about that? You know, it just seems like it will just be like MJF retains or maybe Adam wins and then they're still cool because they have the tag belts. And if they lose, it's going to make me think that one's going to fuck over the other one. So I, I just don't know why I would do this match. That being said, I kind of want Adam Cole and 
uh, MJF to win with a double clothesline. So I guess I'm a masochist. I don't know. So I talked about this on Tom Clark's podcast yesterday of how I would book it and what I would do, which is I would actually do this heel turn for Adam Cole in this match. And he's the reason they all, you know, you get the run in, you give the beat down to MJF, kind of a fuck finish. And then you go into the buildup because this is on the pre-show. People are like, oh, my God, dude, like MJF just got beat down. He's got to defend the title and and Adam Cole's a heel. That is a great lead into that pay-per-view. And then you have Adam Cole win the belt in the main event and do the double turn. And now you have a big, big time babyface and MJF going forward, which I think is where he needs to be uh, having to go through the kingdom. I guess it's it's the kingdom, right? That's what that what what basically the undisputed era. You get you get where I'm going with this. Uh, so that was kind of my idea of, of what I would do, and that's going to be. I guess my idea would be the prediction because I think it makes the most sense with what they're trying to do with them having that uh, both both of those matches on the same night. And if they do that, the crowd is going to lose their mind uh, headed into that pay per view. <laughs> That's a very good point. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I didn't think about that. I was thinking that might happen after the main event, but this kind of sets it up. I like that idea. I really do. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Even if they win the damn tag belts and it gets to it, and then MJF ends up fucking over Adam Cole and this whole entire baby, fa- baby face thing was a facade, I'm fine with it as well. But I really, there's, there is a chunk of me that thinks that the story should go. Adam Cole should get the damn title from MJF. And he starts a heel group, like you said. He's got Matt Taven and obviously um, uh, Canellis. I can't think of his first fucking name. Is it Matt Canellis? Doesn't matter. Um, you know, that he's been in a group with. And then you throw in Roddy. Um, I, you know, Kyle's injured right now. Bobby's doing his own thing. So you would have the kingdom kind of representing that concept. I love that idea. It's just weird because Chris, what happens a week from, uh, tomorrow? You got all in and then you got another pay-per-view, which is going to get absolutely demolished because of college football. And I think the NFL starting back. So, I'll look at that one. So, is it going to be Adam Cole versus CM Punk to put the tiles together? Or if MJF wins, are they doing that? Like, I don't know if they should have put these back to back. I don't know that, that CM Punk is walking out of Wembley as the winner tonight, per se. But we haven't gotten to that match yet. Well, um, let's get... I, I think they're going to keep those belts separated. I don't think they're going to put those things together as quickly as people are, are thinking just because they're doing like a weird soft brand split. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go through this card. There's so many multi-man matches. Holy shit. All right. We got the uh, trios title on the line. House of Black, Malachi Black, Buddy Matthews, Brody King are going against Billy Gunn, who cut one hell of a promo but retired for a cup of coffee. Uh, Billy Gunn in the acclaim. Um, 
unless Billy Gunn, this is his last match. Like this is actually really going to be his last match. I guess the acclaim could lose, but I feel like you put it on the acclaim and Billy Gunn. Oh, I, I mean, I kind of feel like that Billy Gunn's there to take the pin. I think he's there to and take the pin it. really more than a, yeah. And then that's it. And uh, the acclaim can move back into the tag division. I hope Cause so. Because to, to me, it seems like they're trying to rebuild their actual tag division with bringing in Aussie Open and you got FTR and the Bucks and now you got Pride and Powerful back. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe they're realizing that this trios thing was not necessarily the best idea in the entire world. I think it was a great idea when they first were going to do it and then the Bucks and, you know, Kenny got hurt and it got really delayed and then they had a bunch of other injuries uh, not that the roster's not deep and, and you could find ways to throw three guys together and have good matches. I just don't, I, I think it hurts their actual tag division to keep doing that. No, that makes, I completely understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah. I could, I mean, House of Black have had styles for a while, but yet this really could be Billy's last match and they just wanted to like set it up to really get the feels into it. Cause I agree with you. The tag division is, Looking a hell of a lot brighter, and that's because two guys, like you mentioned, Pride and Powerful, are in it, and they're also in this giant fucking stadium stampede match, which it's the same thing as the fight in the, the arena match because they're literally going to be doing it with the crowd in the stadium. So it'll be interesting to see how this. It's kind of like didn't um was Roman Reigns and and uh, Baron Corbin had like the last man standing in the baseball arena. Ended up fighting in the dugout. Like, so the concept of <laughs> live with that many people, it's going to be fucking chaos. But we got Kingston, who's aligned himself with the best friends in Orange Cassidy and Penta because Phoenix got injured on the show. But in reality, he uh, his visa wouldn't be cleared. So they had to change that last minute. Uh, going against Blackpool Combat Club. And Santana and Ortiz. Um, who is going to be bleeding first, Chris? Is it going to be Eddie Kingston or John Moxley? I mean, I, I'm assuming that Moxley is going to somehow get hurt going to the ring at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. I, I don't know. That I bet that's a bet. Like, uh, if, if you're into wrestling betting, there probably is a bet of who, who's going to get color first. I would laugh really hard if it's actually... <laughs> If it's like Ortiz, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think this, this, I think they went to the well too many times on these kind of matches that are like, you know, five to six people doing a hardcore match. Cause I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's going to be a big fucking clusterfuck hardcore match. Um, yeah, it, I, it'll, it's going to be fun seeing pride and powerful back. That That's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm going to say for the winner, I mean, I want Eddie to get the win, but I feel like it's going to be Blackpool Combat Club's Santana and Ortiz, uh, winning at the end of it. Well, I mean, you, they, they set it up in a way that would make me think that Kingston should get the win back here, but you, you know, it depends on if they're going to continue that storyline with them killing Ray Phoenix, which I actually think was a very smart way of getting out of that match. We'll, we'll get into the AR Fox stuff a little bit later. 
who has a you know can't also can't go and the way that they did that i think was not as good as the way they handled the ray phoenix uh not being able to go but uh, i you know i don't know cause you, I, i'm mostly excited to see if someone's going to bring out a branding iron and set somebody on fire in this match <laughs> not gonna lie <laughs> That's the. I think that will definitely there will definitely with Eddie and John being involved in this. I think there's going to be some uh, Terry Funk tributes throughout it. Yeah, I, I would expect to see some some Funk Onita tributes and some Funk uh, Cactus Jack tributes in this. So don't don't be surprised. Wembley, please do not throw eighty thousand chairs if if Moxley says someone give me a chair. <laughs> we don't we don't want these guys getting hurt out here. I just love in that video how, like, it's the two guys that they beat that are on the floor that get destroyed. And then Terry just pretends, all of a sudden starts selling like he got hit. And he's, like, you know, doing the on one side with his arm up in the air thing that he would do for selling. And then Cactus just gets the fuck out of the ring and, like, ducks. And uh, probably the smartest person in that situation. Jesus Christ. I, I would have done the same thing. I would have been right the fuck up out of there when I saw like, you know, hundreds of chairs being launched. So don't do that tonight, guys. No. <laughs> don't. I know. I know it's Terry and you, you would love to recreate that moment, but that's uh, there's way too many people in this match for people to start launching chairs at the ring. There's way too many people in the arena. They'll kill him with the amount of chairs. It's like 80,000 plus people. Um, anyways, let's move on to the next match. I'm, I'm looking forward to this because I know that Will's a huge... Um, he said, I mean, he was on Jericho's show not too long ago. I think it was like a year ago. Uh, Jericho was a huge influence on him. Jericho's always seen a lot in Will Ospreay and really likes him and had him you know, on his cruise before he was a part of AEW. Um, tagging with him and i think orange cassidy i think all of them had sunglasses on anyways but um i'm looking for this match jericho at this point when he tries to go back to his younger years sometimes i mean it's just very fucking hard i mean he's getting older so i hope this is actually more of like jericho brawling trying to beat the shit out of will osprey and will just hitting him with moves that completely devastate him like but I'm, I think Will needs to go over in this. Um, I guess it doesn't matter because if Jericho wins, they can continue something and this can still be Don Callis against him. But it would be huge for Will Ospreay. He's going – they have a Red Pro event tonight that he's putting the title up on the line. Um, in England, to win against one of his idols in front of 80,000-plus people. So I want Will Ospreay to win. I want Will Ospreay to win as well. And I think that there's some ways that you can do that because Jericho turned his back on the Jericho Appreciation Society that will, you know, one, Will can still win. And two, you can continue that f the feud between Jericho. Uh, what What is the tag team with uh, Daddy Magic? Uh, I don't remember what the hell they're called. Uh, but anyways, the, those you know the rest of Jericho Appreciation Society outside of Sammy Guevara, they kind of set up that they're not very happy with Jericho, and it would be 
I could I could see Don Callis adding them to the Don Callis family, uh, and them screwing over Jericho somehow in this match. And then you then you have some other storylines to go with uh, that Jericho can move along to, and you get Will Ospreay getting a win and moving on to whatever he's going to be doing, which I don't think is going to be Jericho for a long time, just because. You know, Will Will has already gotten over. He had that fucking match with Kenny Omega. Everyone knows who Will Ospreay is anyways. He doesn't need the Jericho rub, per se. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, I just... That many people at Wembley in his home country, that, that probably would mean a lot to him to be able to say, I'd be Chris Jericho. Uh, but, you know, I was thinking... I see what you're saying, but... I think it would be great. I know he just became a babyface recently, but if Sammy fucks him over and joins Don Callis's group, like I think that would be kind of interesting because Sammy's been the first, you know, Chris Jericho guy in AEW. Uh, so for him now to do that, I mean, he doesn't really have to be a babyface, and his wife is obviously pregnant at home, so she's not in the picture. Sammy's a damn good heel, is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it going either way with that. And, and you know what? I would have absolutely no problem if Will Ospreay just gets a clean fucking win. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it would be believable. Will Ospreay just, I mean, he just beat Kenny Omega, right? So, um, I I think they can go a lot of routes. It depends on what kind of story they're trying to tell leading into their neck, their very next pay-per-view. Um and if Jericho wants to take some time off, maybe this is just a big beat down Jericho appreciation. Like he loses the match and then him and Sammy are trying to fight off like four or five people. They could do something like that as well. It's just the way they set it up on dynamite, which by the way, this is one of the better told stories. Uh, AEW did a really good job. I want to say on dynamite with some of their big matches as far as storytelling goes. Cause that's not something that I've always felt they've done a good job at like as far as go home shows go but I, I will give them props on dynamite i think they built this match up very well and um the mjf story the mjf adam cole storyline was built very well and uh the the tag match not as much but there's just so much history there i don't know what you could how how you could have done it any better than what they did but either way they actually gave us a true go home show <laughs> where it actually made you kind of excited to see some of these matches. So I just wanted to put that over real quick. Yeah. No, I, I thought Dynamite this last week was awesome, and I thought the same thing. Really good uh, go-home show, because they've been kind of hit or miss lately, and they definitely hit, um, put a lot more into the, a lot of these. I, they tried to do the same thing last night on Rampage for the uh, four-way match for the uh, women's title. And I like the ending where Soraya and Tony Storm are, you know, you got Kirishita who gets fucking sprayed in the face by spray paint, really selling it well. By the way, if you want to sell it even more, someone from the crew that sees her fucking, you know, screaming because her eyes are on fire, since we're trying to stay in character, you would think someone would bring her water. Just little things. But anyways, whatever. Um, And uh, yeah, it was the two heels basically had the belt and they were kind of tugging him back and forth. I think like Will Ospreay, and I kind of want her to split off from Tony Storm and um and uh whatchamacallit, uh uh Ruby Ruby Soho. 
I think Soraya should win this. I'm not going to be happy if Britt Baker wins. I'm going to be honest with you. Unless we're unless we're going in the direction of, hey, Thunder Rosa is coming back. She does deserve a fucking title shot, just like, you know, um, CM Punk was claiming that he's still a champion. I guess technically she should be too. So if we're going for all out trying to put Thunder Rosa and Britt, I don't think that's smart because they got a fucking week to do it. But that's the only way I want to see Britt Baker with that title. Um, I would, I, I, I would, would actually. It, prefer... Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I, I think Soraya winning it. This is a huge accomplishment since she's been retired for a long time and she came back to AEW and then let her fucking be either a baby face or a badass heel and give her the mic. Since I think that's one of the things that she's good at. Um, not saying she's not good at other things. Uh, you know what I'm trying to fucking say. So I kind of hope Soraya wins and branches off from the NW Glow or whatever the fuck it is. Do you think Do you think Sheeta hits the miss tonight? That'd be kind of interesting because they got her. Yeah, like you know, maybe she uh maybe she loads the mouth up with some mist. <laughs> it's one of these people during this match. Um. I could see Sheeta just retaining it, but I could also see them going with Britt Baker. If they go with Britt Baker, I think the Jamie Hayter is showing up on this pay-per-view uh, to set That's up a match with, with Jamie versus Britt, which they kind of were building that feud and then never got around to doing it. And I think that is actually probably the best match you would get out of all of this leading into that next pay-per-view. I mean, that's another person. If she's ready to come back, she never lost her championship. So, uh, God, it'd be awesome if you can do a three-way with Thunder Rosa, Britt, and Jamie Hayter at All Out or something. Um, and then Britt and Jamie can have their feud go past that, you know, for whatever happens, whoever wins that match. Um, but I do also, like I said, I want... Where the fuck has Thunder Rosa been? She was in the back. She went in his office. That was it. She's been clear for a while now, guys. She never lost championship, and she got ragdolled uh, through the fucking locker room. Uh, and we watched a reality TV show where Britt Baker basically was stirring that fucking pot. So, I'm just saying. And Britt Baker's apparently not the not in the, on the best terms with a lot of people backstage right now. So we, you know, if they were putting the title on her, I would think it would be specifically because of they're bringing back Jamie Hayter. Uh, it would be cool to see Thunder Rosa again. I would almost be happier <laughs> if she, if her contract just goes up and she goes to like WWE. Because I think that like with WWE's production value and how good she is, as a wrestler and the people that she could work with there, like a Becky or a Bailey or Charlotte um, or Sonia Deville, like that would be incredible. Cause it, it, it sounds like that there's still real life heat there and it's not, it, I don't know that we're ever going to get Thunder Rosa back to the level that she was in AEW and it's, it seems like political bullshit. So. Yeah. And I've heard the same type of stuff, so we'll see. But I, I think, your idea of hater or like my idea of Thunder Rosa, that should be if Britt Baker wins. If not, for me personally, seeing Paige win in England, that'll be a big moment. Then her and Tony could have like a little bit of like a scuffle. 
and then Tony and maybe Ruby just beat down her as the champion. Then you can just do whatever. Um, but like, if they do have Jamie Hader ready, yeah, go that direction. That would probably make a lot of sense. Since we're talking about your WrestleMania is after, you know, your huge England show, All Out is a week later. So uh, they got to put some shit on that card. Um, they could. I mean, they won't do. They. I don't think they'll do this, but they could do a time limit draw, and just run it back at the next pay per view. That would be an easy thing to do. That's an idea. Yeah. Because, huh. because I mean, other other than that, like I don't, I don't know how you how the hell they're gonna build up a. They'll have to do something with. I mean, I guess Tony Storm and Soraya. If you're gonna like, you would have Soraya win, and that's the actual match i guess because i'm trying to think of like what you would set set up because you have a week right set up i mean you could also here's the thing about Britt baker since she is even though i have my problems with her she still is one of the more on top wrestlers she could still have a fucking match with thunder rosa or like you're saying jamie hater um well, if Jamie Hayter is involved, the title should be involved. What I'm trying to say is she can have a separate match and they can still do another women's match for the championship. That's crazy. And maybe a third one with uh, Chris Statlander, since I haven't seen her since she came back and won. Um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it makes me worried that Statlander – it makes me worried that Statlander re-aggravated her knee or something because we, have, yeah. we haven't really seen her that much, which – this is not great. I know that Jade Cardgill is like taking a break, right? She's she's taking like a month off, two months off yep. or something. Yep, which makes sense. I maybe, mean, hey, going maybe Jade, maybe Jade shows up in this match and murders everybody. That's right. I'm the real fucking bitch. She starts like kicking people. I want her in heels, like taking her heel off, like fucking. Uh, Dusty would do with his uh, cowboy boot. You know what I'm saying? Just like nailing people on the fucking forehead. And shit. Well, that'd be awesome. I think that 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 is something you could do. <laughs> the match ends in a no contest because Jade Cargill shows up and demolishes everybody. I, I mean, she should have like you know, as long as she held that damn title, she should have already been in the women's the the actual women's title, not the uh, whatever the the T and was it the TBS title? Yeah. Um, so that, that could be something you could do. That would be a big reaction. I mean, they're going to get, however they get out of this, if they don't, if they don't give Soraya the win, they're going to get some heat regardless from the crowd. I just don't know if you go back to back hometown heroes winning. Yeah. Well, think about this though. They're not the WWE. So maybe they're going to do that. <laughs> Cause it seems like Vince, like it's your hometown. You're losing. Oh, they could, but you don't, you know, at the same time, you don't want your matches to be too predictable, right? That's a good point, so. but I mean, once again, they are putting their main event in the fucking pre-show match that really could tell you <laughs> where that one's going, whatever decision they make, so. Uh, mm. We'll yeah. find out. And, we'll, and we'll, It's also going to be interesting to see if they, they do a, let's just send all the fans home happy. Uh, with everything that's happened this week. Yeah. So we could, we could see a lot of baby face wins, honestly. Um, 
Speaking about heel wins, though, I kind of want that to happen in this next match just because I think it would be fun if, well, not fun, but I really like Juice Robinson and Jay White. Them together have been awesome. I want them to go back into the tag team division because I really enjoyed their match with FTR. Um, I know a lot of people put that over. I love Kenny, and he's with Kota Ibushi and Hangman Adam Page, but he's going against the Bullet Club Gold with uh, Takeshka, and I want Jay to win. I want Jay, you know, it doesn't have to be Kenny, but it would it would really be something if he does, you know, beat Kenny, but him, you know, doing, what what does he call the Sister Abigail, Chris? But nailing that finisher for the win against Kenny Omega, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should really pull this. I love the tag team going on with him and Juice, but we still haven't really gotten, you know, an ending to the feud that should have been Jay White and Kenny Omega. So maybe they can stir that back up. Uh, but Jay hitting the sister Abigail, if you will, and maybe even taking down Hangman Page, I think the heels actually should go over in this one. There might be more story. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I do think that Bullet Club Gold should win. I really want them to bring in Chris Bay and add him to that group. Um, but yeah, the, the Jay Wyatt finisher isn't it called the Blade Runner? Blade Runner, yes. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and Kenny's Kenny, right? So it's not going to hurt if he he loses. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's Kenny Omega. He's pretty bulletproof at this point. And if we can get him in the Sixers uh, picture as well, that would be great. But uh, him and him and Jay White could have a great match at All Out. Maybe that's where they go. So who knows? Um, you were talking about this earlier. Kind of confusing, but we know it's visa issues. Darby Allen and Sting against Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage. I know they had to put this together very quickly. I I. He's not the damn champion, though. So Luchasaurus should be in this because they said literally Christian said the champion will be tag teaming with Swerve Strickland. But Luchasaurus, I guess, is going to be hanging out with Prince Nana or Nana uh, outside the ring. Um, Yeah, baby faces go over. Actually, have Sting fucking Scorpion Death Drop Christian. And uh, I, I hope Darby this time actually pulls and rips off the turtleneck off of Christian. He almost had it beforehand. I around with one of my friends, and I said, this is the first time we've seen Sting in the ring since LOL TNA with Christian. That's a good so, point. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think the baby faces are going to go over here. I just... If you're going to have Sting lose, it needs to be something. And there needs to be a reason to it, right? So, like, I think Sting's team's going to win here. Um, it is, I think, I think it was, it is cool that Christian's added to this match, because I wonder if they're going to do Sting versus Christian. Which would be, if you're building something out of this, that would probably be the most over match you could have. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, I would love that. Also, Christian's fucking promo on Dynamite. <laughs> what did he say? I can't remember. And like a lot of people that work around here, your dad's dead. 
She's I heard he was a wrestler. I've never heard of Buddy Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Now. He's such a good dick. I mean, Tommy says it all the time. Tommy Dreamer, he's like, you know why Christian's good at that? Because he really is a dick. It's like everything, he's like busting your balls or, or doing something like that. So Christian's a... <laughs> he's, he's one of the best heels. Like, seriously. So, so, since we're talking about Christian, I guess we should just go ahead and talk about the Edge thing, right? Yeah, Edge's is Adam contract. Copeland, is Adam Copeland coming to the ring? Like, oh my God, it's Adam! Bob, he can't. He's, he's going to be under a non-compete or whatever. <laughs> he can't even get offered other contracts right now, technically. So, they wouldn't match him what he wanted, or they wouldn't... He had creative ideas, and they kind of lowballed him again. Because I know he's kind of been frustrated with WWE for a while now. I, it's kind of hard to say because it kind of goes back to them wanting to go into a weird direction with that group and then him getting booted out of that group and they becoming one of the biggest things on Raw. Right? Like, that's a... I'm sure that pissed him off and they haven't really done a lot with Edge, so I would think some of it's creative and... We'll see. I mean, WWE. He said WWE had already offered them a contract. It's sitting in his inbox, so he could just be doing what Randy Orton did, wait until, wait until he can field some other offers. Because I'm sure AEW is going to make him an offer. I don't know that they're going to be able to match whatever. Because WWE is not going to want Edge to show up on their product, especially knowing that Christian's there. Uh, but who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe Edge. Uh, Edge wants to finish it up with Christian. So that's fine, man. I mean, I'm sure even if like you want to do like six months and then that's it, I'm sure Tony would put that into place. It's just money. You have him and Christian, they team together, maybe even try to like put Christian in a position like he's a baby face and then they like have a competitive match against the Hardys and Christian fucks over Edge and goes after his stupid neck. And beats the shit out of them. And that leads to maybe, I don't know, double or nothing. Um, you can't call him Edge, though, anymore. So we got to, like, fuck it. Whatever. Um, you have his retirement match against Christian. Christian retires. Yeah. Uh, there you go. I mean, you could if they wanted to go that route, they could do, you know, they could just put the two guys together and put them against FTR and the Bucks and Pride and Powerful and have, have a... Uh, and the Hardys, and then have the uh, the retirement, them putting their career on the line to win the tag belts or whatever. If you wanted, if they wanted, if they both wanted to go out at the same time, which I don't know that yeah. they they do, but you could do something cool. There's a lot of cool stuff you could do with that. Obviously, mo- money's involved. Christian did, or not Christian, but Edge kind of did poo poo the idea of <laughs> of this online. But I, I know for we know for a fact because we covered when he originally got re-signed with WWE, he was getting offers from AEW then. So. Oh yeah, him and Tony know each other apparently. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. To me, I don't know if I really want to see Edge outside of WWE. To be honest with you, and I thought the match he had with, by the way, the match that was his quote-unquote possible retirement match against Sheamus was fucking awesome. Also, Sheamus, who has spinal stenosis, should not be taking a power bomb from the damn apron to the uh, floor. But whatever. They, uh, they, that was probably the best match Ed, Edge has had 
since he's returned, probably. Either that or that three-way with Brian Danielson yeah. and Roman. Those would be the two yeah. that come to mind. Great match, though. Sheamus is a fucking badass, too. Um, all right, so you mentioned them. We'll, we'll go into this match. Tag team titles are on the line. Now, my most anticipated match is either this or MJF and Adam Cole. But FTR, Young Bucks, three, both of them have a win. This is for the championship. This could go really either way. I know people are going to get mad because we have to fucking make teams um, for whoever were to go over. If the Young Bucks lose, people are going to be pissed. If FTR loses, people are going to be pissed. I just want a great fucking match. I'd love to see FTR go, go over, but I mean, how long have they had the titles? They've had them for a minute. And they've already had a couple matches, so I don't know. Which way do you think this is going to go, Chris? I'm going to I guess I'm going to give a slight edge for me to FTR. Uh, the, the FTR thing's kind of weird because of the cash stuff outside of wrestling. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, other I pull out a gun on someone when you got road rage. Probably not a good idea. So, when when I think Chris, about this, I, it, it, what happened to solving things with your fist? If you get mad in traffic, get out of your car and let's beat the shit out of each other, you know? <laughs> well, I don't necessarily think that that's the answer either. Oh. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, he, they're in a weird spot because, I mean, they could just switch the titles the following week, I guess. Um, to someone else if they didn't want to go with the Bucks. The only thing with the Bucks is they're they're going to be tied into so many other storylines. Do you really want to put the belt on the Young Bucks? Yeah, they're going to be tied into this Callus stuff as well and the Bullet Club Gold stuff. And I mean, do you want the your tag titles involved with that? I don't. I don't have the answer for that. Um, but you could easily. You could easily have them drop. You could easily, if you need to get, if you absolutely need to get the belts off FTR, because we don't know what this is going to really be for cash or, or, I mean, hopefully it's probably like probation and some fines or something and not you're going to go to jail. But uh, we don't know what that's going to be like, right? And we don't know when that's going to happen court case wise. So I don't. I don't know. Like that's a, that's a tough situation that they've kind of put themselves in. Not AEW. I mean, AEW didn't put themselves in. The cash put itself in this situation, but the company is in a tough situation now because, like, I don't know if this court case is like two weeks from now, <laughs> and you don't know what's going to happen. They need to get the belts off of them. Yeah, I agree. I completely forgot about that. And here's the thing. I mean, if FTR's fine, they're not worried about it. They found out. You know, they're clear. We have, like I said, another pay-per-view next weekend, so we got to fucking have some type of match. And, I mean, this could easily be the Young Bucks, if there is issues, winning. And then I know I, I, I just said Jay and Kenny, but you could, since they're all connected, have the Young Bucks win, and then all out they lose to Juice and fucking Jay. And then maybe that can wrap around back to FTR eventually for a feud, because they already started one. I don't know. There's ways to go about this. Pride and powerful. How about put the bells on them eventually? There you go. 
I, that, that's exactly what I was, if they weren't so allergic to DQ finishes, the easy thing to do since you just brought pride and powerful back would have them do a run in on this match. Oh, right? and, and then you can set up. Yeah. Well, yeah. It calls yeah. interference, get the DQ. And then you set up, you have another match for next weekend. And if you don't want to put the belts storyline wise, you don't necessarily want to put the belts on the young bucks. You could drop it to pride and powerful and it would be yeah, a huge up. win for them and, and a big return. Now I don't, like I said, AEW is a little bit allergic to DQ finishes, so I don't know that they would do that on this particular show, but that would be one way you could book yourself out of it. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I would, I have no problem with either of these teams being tag champions. They're just kind of in a weird spot because the Bucks are going to be tied up with whatever storyline that Kenny's tied into um, with Callis. Uh, and in that, they're forming a group over there. So I would assume that the elite in, Jericho and Sammy end up going against whatever the hell Callus is coming up with at some point, maybe even the next yeah. pay-per-view. So you're kind of in a weird spot where do you want to put the, the belts on the bucks? And then you also don't know what's going on with FTR. So I, I could see it going either way, man. This one's a coin flip to me. I think it's going to be a really great match, but I don't, you know, as far as what they're going to do for the finish, I have no idea. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. Regardless. All right. Um, we got our two championship matches for the real world championship. Samoa Joe, CM Punk, and you put it in my head. I want to see Samoa Joe win that title. I don't even care if it's how they're going to go about it. They're going to eventually put those titles back together. But I would love to see Samoa Joe as a world champion in this fucking company. Um, and I, it's not. I don't think CM Punk would have any issue putting Joe over, uh, but they should have a good match. Here's the thing, though. I've seen them back when they were younger at their prime have a match. I'm sure they're going to have good chemistry. We just saw a match between them that was actually really good, but, you know, they're much older, so it's probably going to be a lot more brawling, I'm assuming, and Samoa Joe just fucking tossing Phil around, Phil doing something devious at some point. You know, it's weird because... Both of them are kind of like baby faces and both of them are kind of heels. So that's an interesting factor, I guess. But yeah, I want to see Samojo win this, Chris. Yeah, I would love to see Joe win it as well. I don't really have an interest in uh, Adam Cole versus Punk right away. And I think they're doing that title change. So Joe getting the belt and being like, I don't know what the fuck Punk's talking about. I'm the thing. <laughs> This is if this is the real title, I am the champion or whatever. And then you can build to it down the line if you if you absolutely need to put the belts back together. But, you know, I it makes sense that Joe would win here, because otherwise, why would you you would you should have given CM Punk the big moment of finally beating Samoa Joe at this pay-per-view, not during that uh, Owen Hart tournament or whatever. Yeah. So you would think that maybe Joe wins this and then they have a rubber match eventually. Um. I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. I I would love Samoa Joe to win, and you can then set up CM Punk against someone else that's going, ha, 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 you just lost your fucking belt, whoever that be. Hey, maybe you can have the if, – if CM Punk and MJF are the losers, they can have their third match. <laughs> that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Um, who do you think the fans are going to be behind during this match? Um. 
it's dude, it's weird. It's England. So if we're somewhere in the U.S., I could see CM Punk getting booed over Samoa Joe. But CM, since CM Punk, since Joe comes off so great as a heel, and Punk does have that, I don't know, notoriety behind him. I'm assuming they're going to be behind CM Punk. But throughout the course of the match, especially how CM Punk has been pretty damn heelish as of lately, I could see them siding with Joe and getting a big Joe chant going. So who knows? Yeah, this one's going to be weird. I think you might have 80,000 people 50-50 on it. Because um, you got to keep in mind that Joe has been to England a lot more recently than Punk has. So I'm kind of curious on uh, what that's what that's going to be. I but, heard they made it. I... <laughs> uh, hopefully we get a good 80,000 plus chant of Joe is going to kill you. I'm looking forward to that. It, it'll be a fun match. These guys always have good matches together. Um, regardless of my feelings towards CM Punk, I think this will be a fun match. I'm just curious on what the crowd's going to be like once this thing pops off and they're like, you know, 20 minutes deep into this match that is probably going to be like 45 fucking minutes long. Yeah. Well, that's not the only championship match on here. We also have, like we've already talked about, MJF and Adam Cole. I think both of us want Adam Cole. I want, like, not a double turn because MJF has been. And I mean, if you guys want to watch another, I guess another plug for Busted Open. Uh, Dave LaGreca sat down for an hour with MJF. He was still not breaking kayfabe, but he was much more, like, still a smartass, but, like, way more babyface, but very open about his career. Uh, pretty cool. If if you want him to stay as a scumbag deep down, don't listen to it. But if you want to actually learn a little more about MJF, uh, you know, in front of a live audience getting interviewed, it was a pretty cool interview. That being said, I want MJF to be the biggest baby face at the end of this, and Adam Cole to be a fucking dastardly heel with his group, whatever that is, you know, at the end with that belt. I think that's the best thing, and I think Adam Cole has done the best work since being in AEW, working with MJF, so I don't want it to really end. I think that we kind of, we that has legs, keep on going with the storyline. Um, it's just so weird that even though it's like, duh, MJF is a babyface. It's just strange how that's that's working so well. Well, it's because the the fans wanted it all along when he came back. Like, you know, no one really wanted to boo MJF when he came back after the Wardlow stuff with the way he was cutting promos headed back into that and calling out Tony Khan. It was almost like a Steve Austin type thing. And then he went back to heal MJF and they really tried to force it down your throats. And I mean, that guy's working hard to get heel reactions anyways. And he's been able to do that because he's that good on the mic. But I, I you know, I wasn't super fond of them turning him heel when he came back anyways. It kind of reminded me of like when Seth Rollins came back yep. uh, and they just turned him heel for kind of no reason uh, when the fans really didn't want to boo the guy. Um, that was when he didn't. He, it kept, when he came back and cashed in Money in the Bank or whatever, uh, and then they just immediately turned him heel. Uh, it's it's one of it was kind of it's, it's very similar in that sense because I don't think fans really wanted to boo Seth. They both did great jobs at getting still getting it over as being like shit, really shitty heels. But I I think that Adam Cole to me has always worked better as a heel. Yep. Uh, it's, it's so I, I think this would benefit both of them and. 
it's crazy that we could live in a world where <laughs> Cody Rhodes is a top baby face and MJF is a top baby face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. MJF really put Cody over during that interview as well. So, because um, as you just said, if he didn't fucking decide to call him because he liked the promo he did for, I think, Evolver MLW at the time to be the first match at All In, you know, who knows if MJF would have gotten to the level that he is. And it's uh, very true. Like, Cody just saw something in him and thought he was a great heel and great throwback and asked him to go against, uh, what, what the hell is his name, Matt? Um, damn it, I can't remember. Old school guy used to fucking be a heel on Lucha Underground with a mask. Son of Havoc? I can't remember what his name is. But anyways... Regardless, MJF. Haven? No, no, it was um. God dang it, he was in he was in NWA recently. Like he's a low key. Everyone likes him. Great worker, but he hasn't gotten to like a big level. Uh, I'll have to look it up now. It's just crazy. You go the original All In, uh, the biggest pay per view at the time outside of WWE. You know something that rivals with them. He is on the first match. MJF years later, their second all in in front of 80,000 plus people. He is in the main event for the championship. So that says a lot what happens within a couple of years. He, he's in two matches. <laughs> he's going to double it every year. Next year, he's going to be in three. <laughs> no. yeah, he I'm, ki- I'm kidding. He's pulling his inner AJ Styles on this one. AJ used to have to do that shit in Impact <laughs> back when, when they first started. Um, you kidding no, this me? Is, yeah. You fucking kidding me? Oh, you wouldn't say fuck. You freaking kidding me? Some of some of these go home buildups like scream that Jeff Jarrett had his hands involved in it a little bit. Uh, by the way, I'm just gonna point that out. So, uh, and not in a bad way. I mean that the fact that they actually, like I said earlier, built to some of these matches actually meaning something, which they have not always been the best at doing. Yeah, I agree, and um, I think that it seems to me that Tony's taken a lot more help than he probably did, you know, maybe a year ago. Uh, obviously, before that too, because he he just he put over um, Brian Danielson uh, recently and said if there was anyone I had to give the company to, if like I couldn't do anything, and I'm going to have him, you know, uh, set up much more when he comes back is Brian Danielson. He said, you know, Tony basically just said he, he would be completely content with Brian taking over creatively. So that was, Could you, what a, what a crazy know. world that would be. What a crazy world that would be. Brian Danielson, uh, in head of creative and AEW and triple H head of creative in WWE. So the rose have, re- <laughs> yep. But dude, uh, that's that's tomorrow night. We got collision tonight. So two AEW shows, one at fucking Wembley tomorrow in front of a million people. I think what time is it coming on? I think they said like four or five. Which, like I said, I mean they could do that from now on. We're old, you know. We don't have to like, have the pay per view starting at seven or eight anymore. But uh, yep. And then uh, two NWA shows I'll be checking out parts of as well. So there you go. I would absolutely love if they always did their shows at 12. 
but that's a hard ask on a Sunday or Saturday because football's coming up. Yeah, and I can't be that drunk early in the morning. You know? I guess <laughs> I like these pay-per-views though because I don't have to roll in like roll into work super tired the next day after staying up till twelve thirty watching an AEW pay-per-view. Not gonna lie about that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. But yeah. Um all right. Should be should be a great show, man. I'm looking forward to it. They've got they built one hell of a crowd there. You know, they did more than I expected them to do, ticket sales-wise. So you know, they proved me wrong. Um, I thought it was going to be really hard for them to get, you know, I, I thought maybe like 50, 60. But even then, that's like still an incredible draw. But they're up to like almost 80,000 in sales for this show. And I think the building holds 85,000 or something. That is insane. Uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta holds, I think, 76,000 for football games. So just think about how fucking like big that is. Like that's that's an insane amount of wrestling fans. It's going to be incredible. Just England crowds are always really good anyway. So just like that entire like it's going to be crazy seeing what that atmosphere is like. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's really cool that a company was able to accomplish this. And you know I'm giving them credit where credit is due because I did not think. I mean I thought it was going to be a really big show, but I didn't know that it was going to be as big as it actually is. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's it's pretty damn impressive. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun, loud, and I'm just looking forward to seeing the AEW wrestlers able to perform in something this big. You know, it's going to be pretty... Uh, this is their WrestleMania 3, you know? Uh, this is huge for them. And... Uh, one hell of arena. Hey, so Fightful Select just reported, and this is me checking Facebook on the way out. Apparently, they're considering adding Chris Statlander against Ruby Soho for the TBS Championship um, within this. I don't know if that would be on the pre-show or the main card, but um, at least this thing starts, like I said, at 5 o'clock. Chris Statlander is going to be yeah. Soho's ass so if that happens. Well, this starts at, at 12. Right? Did you say five, five or twelve? Twelve? Oh shit! I can wake yeah, up. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like, dude, I wish they always did this, but I get why you you obviously you can't because of football. Because they like that would kill them if they tried to do that during football season. But I love the idea of waking up at like twelve, you know, having a sandwich, drinking some beer, just well, like I do when I watch football, um, <laughs> and watching a pay per view as opposed to. You know, going from you know seven till twelve thirty at night. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, I'm 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 completely down for that. But uh, that's the show. We did it, guys. We got through it. It was a uh, emotional show. Um, lots happened this week, and uh, I'm glad that we got through it. We we talked about it. Me and Chris, uh, you know, use this time to. Make light of a pretty terrible uh, situation. Chris, say goodbye to all the lovely people and say whatever you want to say at the end. Goodbye, all you lovely people out there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Chris R. Patton. On Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton. Same on Instagram. 
anyone out there that's you know feeling sad about this try to go back and remember all of the memories that these two legends gave you uh be kind to one another you know that's just gonna leave it at that and didn't enjoy the AEW pay-per-view it's very good i like that chris yeah be kind to one another don't be a dick there's no reason for it especially with shit like this happening but yes Watch AEW All In tomorrow. We'll be talking about it next week, obviously. Whatever results happen. And uh, we'll be uh, talking about that show and then previewing another AEW show called All Out. So, in and out. Not the burger place. Uh, you can find me at Danales42 um, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, just Dane Alves. Instagram, just Dane Alves. Message me. We'll talk about wrestling. And once again, a big rest in peace. To Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt, you'll live on in our terrible impersonations of you guys. And in reality, like Chris said, I mean, not only can you remember them from the memories and everything else, you got Peacock and you got YouTube and you got Daily Motion. Go use them. Love you guys. Rest in peace. And thank you guys so much for listening. Let the Wrestling Geeks Alliance be with you. And as always, peace out. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Come down from your fences and open the gate. It may be raining, there's a rainbow above you. Better let somebody love you. Better let somebody love you Before it's too late